Shipwreck, come on. Yo, Joe! He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe is there. It's G.I. Joe against Cobra, the enemy, fighting to save the day. He never gives up. He's always there, fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. He never gives up, he'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe All right, everybody, this is Star Joe's A Real Animated Hero, episode 105, and this is Robert Atkins. And this is Ryan. And I'm John. And welcome back, everyone. Yes, we have John Thurman once again joining us for the fun and rollicking adventures of G.I. Joe Real American Hero animated series. Uh, welcome back, John. I appreciate it. This is, uh, it's been a lot of fun and a lot of great memories and looking forward to, uh, talking about these episodes today because i think these were some of the better ones that we've watched out of the batch oh yeah of late definitely oh, yeah for sure um and just to let any listeners out there know i've had a couple people reach out to me saying that they would like love to be on one of these episodes and definitely plan on on reaching out to you to have you on it's just we're recording this in the middle of the afternoon in the middle of the week i figured most people were probably not available at this time <laughs> so i didn't even bother reaching out to anyone else at least for this episode <laughs> But uh, but I know like Chris, who is Doctor Quest uh, on the forums, who we've had on the show before, he's expressed interest because he's already watched all the episodes in a great rewatch. Uh, and Jonathan from uh, Facebook has expressed interest in coming on. We haven't had Jonathan on at all, so but he's a big fan, so I think it'd be interesting to, to have him on as well. So, um, so guys, we actually did have a voicemail sent to us specifically about the animated series. Cool. Um, and they sent the voicemail to uh, Geekcast Radio Network. So Mike over over there actually forwarded it over to me. And I'm going to play this for you guys. Uh, if you can't hear it, uh, I apologize. I'll let you know what was said. Uh, there is a part of it that I didn't even understand what was said, so we could talk about that. So. <laughs> but let me go ahead and play that real quick here for you. This is for Chargers, a real American hero subsection podcast. Uh, several things. One, which version of the DVD series of G.I. Joe, the uh, Geek version, well, sorry, Tumbo version, were you watching? Because the one from Shout Factory has the third miniseries opening sequence. Two, in your opinion, do you think Duke's original call name was Easy Capture or POW? And three, let's he's going to be switching over to be called Cobra Cast, which was a listing of a uh, GI Joe episode by episode podcast on the Geekcast Radio Network. Keep up the good work. Later. So I don't know if you guys could hear that, but 
Uh, I think most of it. Yeah. Okay, I, I understood most of it. Okay, good. It was just the end part was the one part I didn't totally catch. I, he was talking about, I think Cobra Watch or something like that, which was a subsection of Geekcast Radio Network. And uh, I did look it up, and it looks like they were going to attempt to rewatch all the cartoon episodes, but they only watched like a couple, and there hasn't been a new post from that since like 2010, I think, or something somewhere around there. So this isn't part of that. If that's what he was asking, I don't know. Um, this is just a subsection of Star Joe's. So, uh, what do you think about uh, Duke's original code names? Uh, Easy Capture and uh, POW. <laughs> I love I love the POW. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Uh, I, when he said Easy Capture, I thought at first he said Easy Catcher. Oh, okay. And all I like to think it was the whole pitcher catcher. I was like. Mm. <laughs> Um, and just to let, you know, he, he fits that all right. I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and just to let him know, evidently, uh, my I was referring to the intros on my DVD copies. Your guys' copies are probably different or updated. Um, <laughs> mine, were, mine is not updated. <laughs> mine are the original Rhino editions. Um, until they get to season two. Season two is they never finished in the Rhino productions. So I had to pick those up when they were re-released by, uh, was it Shout Factory or whatever? Um, but my original ones were the Rhino production ones, and that those editions don't have the um, Pyramid of Darkness intro. It has the oh. Terradrome intro and everything else. So that's why I said I was surprised they didn't use that. So evidently I was wrong. Evidently they did use the Pyramid of Darkness intro. Cool. Yeah, I've got... like. A bootleg version of the Rhino. <laughs> like I don't even have the real Rhino release one. I um, this is before I knew that they had released them, and I saw it like at a convention. And I was like, "What? The entire series? Snag!" And then I got home, and I was like, "Wait a minute, these are blank DVDs." <laughs> I was completely naive to the whole bootleg market in general, and um, <laughs> so I opened it up. I'm like, "These look fake," and then I put it in. And, and I was like, whoa, G.I. Joe. So, um, yeah, so I didn't even know that there was uh, the different versions. And of course, when that big, heavy, you know, war chest set came out, I think you have John, right? That is what I have, the one my wife almost killed me for buying. So. <laughs> right. See what you're getting, honey? This is what this is all paying off, baby. <laughs> paying off, that's right. Now, John, do you do you remember, does does yours actually have the Pyramid of Darkness I, intro? Or? I have to be honest. I, I get so enwrapped in the stories, I don't pay much attention to the credits. Okay. I really, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I am curious, though, and I have not watched on Netflix. I would be curious to see what they are showing. Oh, yeah. Have you watched any of it? I've not watched not. any of it on Netflix, so I'm no, just curious. But, I haven't. But I have watched I, some I, on Netflix, but again, I haven't paid attention specifically to those episodes and which intro was used. I mean, that'd be kind of need to go and look real quick. But yeah, but uh, yeah, thanks for the voicemail. I actually we got that one a while back, but I wanted to save it for the episode when I had you guys on because obviously it pertains to this this version of the show. So. Um, so thanks for the voicemail. If you want to, if anyone wants to leave us a voicemail, you can actually call us directly. Like I said, this message came through Geekcast Radio Network. Uh, they got the voicemail and were nice enough to forward it over to to me. Um, but you can call us. It's uh, our number is four four zero nine four one Joe's J O E S, and uh, you can leave us a message there, and, and I'll get it directly. Not to say that Geekcast won't get it to me. Obviously they do, but uh, but it's another way to reach us. Um, before we get into these episodes, I did have a couple things. I was doing some, some homework on G.I. Joe in general, 
and uh, had a couple things that I never knew about G.I. Joe, or at least some things that I thought were kind of interesting um, that I'm kind of curious if you guys knew. Um, so going into the, the cartoon and everything else, did you know, uh, you know, we've talked about some of the writers and, and creators and stuff like that. Uh, we, I think we've mentioned a couple of these before, but did you know that Marv Wolfman, uh, I think we came across Denny O'Neill once already and yeah. Steve Gerber, uh, who were all oh. comic writers, uh, actually wrote episodes of, uh, G.I. Joe or American Hero. Yeah, I remember the Marv Wolfman, and uh, but I didn't know about the Steve Gerber. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I remember Steve Gerber, and of course, we I think we talked about a while ago too, Christy Marks. Yes, who was writing uh, the Amethyst book, right? right, or whatever the new run of that too. So yeah, yeah quite a, quite a bit of crossover there. Yeah, um, yeah. So and then, do you know what Steve Gerber is? One of the things he's known for, Howard the Duck. Yes, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> so uh, that's his claim to fame. So. Um, a couple other things. One is despite leak, uh, I think we kind of know this, but I found it kind of interesting with some of the names that I came across here, uh, that despite legal disclaimer on every toy package, uh, to the contrary, a few of the Hasbro's action figures are in fact named after Hasbro employees, their friends and neighbors. Uh, so you have uh, Dusty is Ronald uh, Tudor, which is a variation of the figure designer, Ron Rudet. I don't know if you knew right. that. Uh, Ninjas Bushido and Banzai are named after the advertising producers Lloyd S. Goldfine and Robert J. Travellino. So there's a couple other names. And then there was a few puns, which I think we know one of these, but I didn't know the other one. Uh, the one I think we know is Cutter's actual name is Skip a Stone. <laughs> so that, and then the one I didn't know is Frostbite's real name is Farley S. Seward, which was actually a reference to Seward's Folly, uh, who is the person uh, responsible for purchasing Alaska. So kind of huh. plays into the fact that he's a snow character. I didn't know about any of that stuff. Well, I knew about the Rude app because of <clears throat> that one episode where we'll get into it, but, you know, where they think Dusty is kind of a traitor. Yeah. And then he goes under the pseudonym, like, Rude app for the yes. when he's working for Cobra. Yep. So. Well, you know, well, I'm sure, you know, I know Robert's been able to, sit at many panels and cons with uh, Mr. Hama, and of course he talks about when they started telling him he had to put everybody's hometowns as Providence and Warwick and all these areas right around Hasbro, and that it was ridiculous that all of a sudden you had a bunch of folks all right from there because they were all executives that wanted their names and right. uh, hometowns, which were right up the street from Hasbro's <laughs> offices. So, Well, and I think that that's, that's another one of the cool things about G.I. Joe is there's such an array of characters. And, of course, you know, in the military, people come from all over. But you start to connect with those. You find out those guys who lived close to at least where you were. Yeah. And uh, and you have that little bit of connection. It's kind of like Justin on uh, What's on Joe Mind is totally infatuated with uh, Hit and Run, you know, who's, yeah. who's also from, you know, where he's at. So it's just kind of like <laughs> you kind of have that bond, you know, or whatever. If, you, if he's one of your favorite characters, plus he comes from where you're at, you know, it's oh, kind yeah. of that added bit of uh, that helps. Yeah. Know, yeah. Bio <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, and then two other small things here. Uh, one is, did you guys know that Todd McFarlane was actually fired off of G.I. Joe? The comic? I did. I did. I knew he did a couple has... issues, but I forget the yeah. circumstances. Uh, G.I. Joe editor Bob Harris thought McFarlane's detailed packed pack, uh, pack pages would be a good fit for the toy-based comic series, which had a lot of heroes, villains, weapons, and vehicles. So McFarlane drew a few issues, but writer Larry Hama, 
who was who also drew comics and was an ed, uh, and as an editor had a lot of pull, found that that uh, Todd McFarlane's storytelling skills were lacking. So only one of <laughs> McFarlane's issues were published. Although years later, Marvel released another that had been sitting in the desk drawer. Um, but they put in here, don't fret. McFarlane uh, went on to become one of the most famous comic book artists of all time. So obviously, it didn't <laughs> uh, didn't hurt him too badly. Yeah, Larry's like yes. that guy's going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw this out to the listening audience. If if anybody does have a copy of G.I. Joe Special Number 1, which was released after the initial Marvel run wrapped up in 94, um, I'm always looking for a copy. And that is the the issue that McFarlane drew. I think it's issue 61, and it's the alternate art oh, that yeah, they, yeah. they replaced. Yep. Um, but it's the cover of Snake Eyes in that very famous uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man stance pose, from what yeah. like spider No adjective Spider-Man 1. Yeah. Oh, right, um, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, I'll throw that out. I am been looking for a copy of that for a while so you know where to find one let me know absolutely um and then this i found the most interesting i had no idea about this whatsoever um and so i'll I'll be amazed if any of our listeners already knew this or if you guys knew this um so we all know that that there's been a lot of connections between gi joe and transformers that they're related um but i don't think i ever knew how related they were um so i'm just going to read what what i found online uh, it says, yes, the same toy companies produce both, and yes, the two universes have crossed over in comics and animation. Uh, but rather uh, rather than printed paper, this family tree branches through plastic. Uh, the Robots in Disguise lineage goes all the way back to America's movable fighting man. So, believe it or not, Transformers gets its origin from G.I. Joe, and I'm going to tell you how. In 1964, Hasbro released the original 12-inch G.I. Joe action figures. Within a few years, Hasbro had licensed the figures to, a toy, to toy companies around the world for sale in markets like England and Brazil. In Japan, in 1972, Takara released a toy called Henshin Cyborg. It was a clear plastic version of the Joe body with mechanical innards. Two years later, Takara shrunk the figures and renamed them Microman. Two years after that, MicroChange uh, introduced transforming robots to the mix, including a Lamborghini that hopped into Takara's Diaclone line in 1980. When Hasbro saw Takara's attempt to release Diaclone as Diacron in the U.S., it partnered with Japanese toy makers to release many of those Microman and Diaclone cars, planes, cassette players, and the Walter P-38 pistol, as the 1984 and 85 Autobots and Decepticons. So in a very real way, G.I. Joe helped create the Transformers. So basically... That's right. Suck it, Transformers. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, they took the 12-inch G.I. Joe. There was a toy line that used a clear body version of that exact mold and put gears and everything inside, and then they shrunk that down uh, a couple years later into smaller figures that were robotic, and then they made transforming robots, combined the two together, and thus came Transformers. So I had absolutely no idea about that. Yeah, it's, it's really neat to kind of see the, the process, you know, what came, you know, the sequence of events that led to such a huge franchise. And yeah, it, it's kind of like if any one of these things didn't happen, you never know. It could have went in a completely different direction. Oh, yeah. So it was kind of cool to see the history. Absolutely. Well, you guys ready to get into some episodes? Let's do it. All right. Uh, John, I think you nailed it on the head when we were talking earlier that these episodes, in my opinion, were overall a huge improvement <laughs> from some of the past ones that we've had. 
Um, there's yeah, there was no uh, man-sized corn cobs. No. <laughs> none of that awkward stuff. I will tell you that uh, MTV did uh, listed the five most ridiculous G.I. Joe episodes, <laughs> and one of the ones that's on our list of t- from today is on that list of top five, but believe it or not, <laughs> the corn episode was not on that list, so I don't think they watched enough of the episodes. Uh, no, I don't think they watched them all. <laughs> They're just like, I remember one where this happened. Let's put it on the list. <laughs> But they did have one of my favorite ones on the list uh, that we'll come across m- farther down, which is uh, the Viper episode. Uh, <laughs> I know it's hokey and I know it's ridiculous, but that is one of my favorite G.I. Joe episodes ever. Uh, it's, one of, it's one of the ones I remember the absolute most, that's for sure. Yeah, so, so it must have done something right, I guess. It'll be fun when we get to that one. But uh, <laughs> but the ones we're starting with today, we have uh, part one of the Synthoid Conspiracy. Um. So I'm just going to go into the synopsis here. You guys, as always, chime in with any things that you remember, any comments that you have. Um, So we open with Duke leading some war games out in the ocean. Uh, He radios General Franks to inform him that the area is clear and that they can begin. Uh, Below the surface, Cobra Commander and Destro Destro are in a submarine uh, that Destro finds substandard, and he rips a pipe. Uh, off with his hands. <laughs> oh, is this the first time we've seen them in a submarine? Uh, no, I think we no. didn't. We see them in a submarine. Maybe the two of these characters together. Well, I was just—I mean, I always kind of associate Cobra with submarines. They seem to be in submarines quite often. Yeah, and and I know that like Destro typically is kind of their weapons designer and or you know creates these vehicles for them that kind of stuff. But right, you know, for, so for him to be talking about how crappy their submarine is, I was like. Maybe it's after this point he decides to start making submarines for Cobra? Or well, they probably just bought this one not from him, so that's why he's bitching about it not being very good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of the things I made a comment, I said, it might not be a good idea to start tearing apart the sub when you're underwater. <laughs> it's like pulling pipes out. This means nothing. <laughs> um, Cobra Commander tells Destro to be quiet so that you can listen to the conversation above because he's been able to tap into you know, the super secret communications of G.I. Joe and the top brass and everything. Um, Admiral Ledger announces that the war games will begin at 1000 hours. And General Franks makes a comment to his aide Erickson uh, about the, uh, about the Joes being on the ball, but Erickson shows no enthusiasm in his response, which Admiral Ledger actually finds a bit odd. Could that mean something? (laughs) Anytime you have somebody just like acting strange. Yeah. We've learned now. Them. Yeah, we've learned now. They're not very deep. It's very surface level. <laughs> yeah. Nope. It's just uh, it's it's either it's either going to be Zartan or Baroness, and you have no idea if it's a guy or a girl. You right. still don't know who's going to be. <laughs> Especially after what Arnold or whatever, we we just don't know anymore. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that is guessing the whole time. Yes. Um. So then Duke radios to Deep Six to see if he's ready. And is told by Deep Six uh, that he and Torpedo are both. Hey, <laughs> Torpedo! So we have the return of Torpedo. Uh, Colonel Sharp assures General Howe, uh, who is in charge of the Budget Committee, that the Joes' will, uh, performance will impress him. And uh, I think he makes a comment like that it always does or something like that. Um, Shipwreck on the USS Flag makes a pass at Scarlet, offering to take her out to dinner. And Man, she just guy kind of, is such a horn dog. <laughs> it's on every. I mean, there's only. I mean, granted, there's like three girls on the Joe team, but he's just like, hey, anyone, any takers, hey. Right. He's like, how about I undo another button on my shirt? 
Yeah, because see if that gets him going. Because <laughs> was it was it Scarlet or Lady J that he was hitting on when they first met up in the Arctic and stuff like that? I, I think it was, was Lady J. Wasn't that was it? Lady yeah, J. It was. Lady, so. it was, yeah, it was. <laughs> and we'll see later on. He hits on Cover Girl. So. Cover Girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, she kind of just slaps him away, and uh, and Scarlet is ordered by Duke to prepare the Sky Strikers for launch. Uh, Ace tells Wild Bill to get ready for the war games, but Wild Bill is sitting there twirling his gun and says he still has two minutes. Uh, kind of, I think he flips it up in the air and stuff like that. Uh, Duke stresses to the team. That's, I'm, I'm just guessing that his gun's not loaded. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's like just spinning the gun. Knowing um, Wild Bill, though, it, uh, probably, it probably is loaded. <laughs> <laughs> Do not give those guns to Bazooka, though. No. Oh, my gosh, right. no. He would trip and then I'd be lucky enough, though, to shoot a Cobra soldier. But we have found if he gets, if he shoots himself in his own head, he'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he can survive just by anything. So Duke tells the team that it's very important to show their best today. Uh, Cobra Commander orders the Televipers to bring their systems online, and the submarine heads towards the command ship, and Destro learns of the plan to create synthoids, which are replicas of people using genetic engineering chemicals, um, which he actually provided the system to him, so I don't know why Cobra Commander had to explain it to him. <laughs> but, um, and they wanted to, he wanted to use it to humiliate and take down the Joes. Is it at this point that he, or no, I think it's a little bit later that he makes a replica of uh, Destro. That's a little later. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a little, a little later, but that, yeah, that becomes a huge point. Yeah. That point. Um, the Joes fire their missiles at the dummy ships in the water, but all of the missiles, like every single one of them, just completely miss. Um, and it, I don't know, unless I miss something. Well, it's because you got people like Scarlet flying a sky strike. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this is all about. Just like trying to teach like the average person off the street how to fly and shoot a sky striker. <laughs> oh, I thought you were turning into Daryl Taylor and saying like women can <laughs> shooting. Uh, oh, okay. I'm not gonna go that far. <laughs> all right, so the ships uh, open up and the dreadnoughts are come out flying fangs and Zartan, who's in disguise as Erickson, dun dun dun, <laughs> uh, reveals himself to the top brass and gasses them. So. Zartan is all right. about the gas. <laughs> Him and Keith would get all great. Sorry. I know exactly, man. <laughs> Maybe Keith is Zartan in disguise. <laughs> oh my gosh! I solved it! That's exactly it! So, uh, Keith from DC Noise is Zartan. We've we've uncovered Is Zartan, yes. yep. Uh, Duke's Sky Striker is hit, and Buzzer cuts his parachute, causing Duke to fall into the ocean. That's the best. <laughs> Cut I, it clean. Like you know, he was flying so close in his fang. Wouldn't it make sense that the props from the from the fang, you know, helicopter, like the propeller, yeah. wouldn't that like tear up his? <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I thought. I was like, head. well, wait, he's he can't get close enough because of the propellers. <laughs> I know he can like reach out with this uncanopied fang and just like with a chainsaw take him. You know, it's kind of strapped. Spectre but, gadget, um, go go get it, arm. <laughs> I know it's like he's just off. Um, we have no idea. And, and I almost wanted to count this as a half capture that Duke got captured by his parachute. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. If we stretch it that far, then we're going to have to be really. I know. So I didn't do it. I didn't do it. When it comes to Flint yeah, stuff. I didn't do it. You do make a good yes. case. And I'm almost fully decided. So then Deep Six is alerted <laughs> that Duke went under uh, and uh, just as Cobra Hydrofoils enter into the fight. Uh, Torpedo rescues Duke, who's trapped under his parachute. 
and torpedo and deep six rescue him just before a shark attacks. And this is the animal, the shark, not the Joe vehicle, the shark. So, right. Which I'm like, you know, you got deep six in there and he's all, he's such a grumpy guy, right? Oh yeah. He's like Dukes in the water again. <laughs> Somebody should go save him. You got to rescue Duke <laughs> again. All right. Gosh. Mm. So Scarlet radios Shipwreck to see if he could take uh, out some of the Mori hydrofoils, which Shipwreck responds, does Popeye like spinach? Um, <laughs> such corny lines from Shipwreck. Terrible. Why is he on this team? So Zartan radios Cobra Commander that the first phase is complete and the, synth- uh, and the synthoids at the top uh, brass are actually placed on a platform that extends an arm and crashes through the main deck. <laughs> That was really weird. <laughs> they're like, they're sitting here writing out this story. We like, we have no idea how to get these <laughs> generals from the submarine to the aircraft carrier. Like, all right, let's just throw them on this crazy weird arm that can bust through anything. <laughs> it's, right. like, it's like the most bizarre. You know, and it's huge. It's this huge arm. <laughs> yeah, it's like it must take up the entire submarine. <laughs> um, and I also love how it crashed through the 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 window panes because no one's going to notice that <laughs> i know just crush you know well they had all the smoke right they they fired right. all these like uh flare kind of um canisters yeah so the synthoids are put into position and the real top brass are taken captive uh and this is all done under the, under the cover of smoke screen like you were just mentioning robert yeah um so this is where scarlet radio shipwreck to see if he could take out some of the mori hydrofoils uh, and then Cobra shuttle, uh, the shuttle goes under and escapes and Duke and Scarlet are chastised by general Franks for their poor performance against Cobra and orders them to return to the Joe base. Cobra commander then reveals that their next plan is to replace a Joe. Uh, but before that he and Zartan have a laugh as they show a replacement of Destro that they made. Yeah. See? Yeah. You don't want to piss off Destro. No, we learned that later. I mean, it's it, it is interesting that that Cobra and Zartan kind of team up to really kind of make the impression to put Destro in his place. Like, I want this just kind of like there's always these power plays and these power struggles in the Cobra hierarchy. Yeah, that's uh, just constantly going back and forth. And it's obviously a theme. They're all very self centered and and greedy when it comes to power, but um, which is you know half the reason why most of their plans fail. Yeah, because they're always backbiting and at each other. But it's Absolutely. just I, I think that really kind of propelled this episode, you know, just added that kind of bit of drama just to show, you know, you're oh, replaceable yeah. kind of thing. I almost feel like this whole episode of ours is uh, could almost be titled like traitors episode because almost every episode there's somebody <laughs> on Cobra's side that turns on. Them. I know it, they seem to be a common theme, a bunch of episodes in a row. And I'm like, would you guys just get it together? <laughs> <laughs> and it also seems like bickering on the good guy side works for them and bickering on the bad guy side works against them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every time they get in an argument, one of them betrays the other and the whole plan goes down. Um, so Cobra Commander shows how they can eliminate uh, a synthoid with a neutralizer control, uh, which Zartan then has to remind them that the <laughs> setting's too high. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's foreshadow the end of this episode. Yeah. I wonder how this ends. <laughs> like, leave it up to Cobra Commander, you know, just... right. What a moron! Um, why, you know, if you if you created this, why give the remote to Cobra Commander? You know, just make it so it only goes up halfway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like make it so it can't even. There's like some Cobra Commander proof <laughs> gadget Zart's, where he can't screw it up. It's like Zart, it's almost like a little kid. Like you give the little kid the toy Fisher Price phone, but you have the real <laughs> cell phone, <laughs> <laughs> and you make all the noises for them. Uh, 
there's our tangents with his hand closer than that, like beep boop 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 boop. <laughs> sure, Cover Commander, you're totally doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so then Destro doesn't like the idea that he could be replaced at any time. Again, foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, at the next budget meeting, General Howe gives a recommendation to cut the funding for G.I. Joe, and General Franks uh, is asked for his opinion, and he agrees. Uh, due to these oh. cuts, the Joe's fine. I'm sorry. I'm just like, you know, cut to some more exciting things. Like, yeah. <laughs> why are we watching a board meeting in, on the G.I. Joe cartoon? We're in a budget meeting. Someone should stab right. each other in the board meeting or something. <laughs> uh, anyway, keep going. Sorry. So anyways, due to the cuts, the Joes find themselves unable to repair vehicles or have enough ammo for target practice. But I'm like, they run out fast. I mean, they must yeah, have had no supply. Right. Rock and roll's like, look, I got five bullets. You know, it's, there's like... <laughs> I was like, I understand why we're so many trillion dollars in debt right yeah. now. <laughs> well, I'm like, rock and roll, just pull the ones off your shirt, dude. Like, he's got two bandoliers just sitting right there. Right. No, those are special. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are, they have Cobra's names etched in each one of them. Like, they're special bullets. Uh, yeah. My my outfit just won't look right. It's almost like uh, kind of... Cousin Eddie from, <laughs> what about his part? Is like, if my part if that gets <laughs> dented, it just, my hair just ain't going to look right. <laughs> Um, so, uh, then we have, uh, Duke arrives back to the base with Scarlet and Junkyard greets Duke with some licks on his face. Again, foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cobra attacks the Joe base, but being underfunded, the Joes have a difficult time fending off the attack. I tell you, when you say <laughs> Junkyard starts licking his face with some foreshadowing, you've totally got to insert the Marvin Gaye song. <laughs> Duke has junk on his face. Um, so in the attack, Duke and Scarlet are separated and Duke comes face to face with the dreadnoughts. The dreadnoughts pin Duke against a wall and Zartan knocks him out with gas and dun, 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 Duke is kicked and captured. (laughs) I mean, two things I'm not surprised about. One, Duke being captured. Two, Zartan using gas again. (laughs) It is Keith. (laughs) (laughs) So we're up to seven captures for Duke now. Yeah! So, um... The Joes are able to push Cobra back, and Cobra turns and leaves. Uh, Scarlet confronts Duke about what just happened, and Duke accidentally calls her cover girl. Uh, Duke tries to recover from what he said, but Junkyard starts to snarl at him. Uh, General Flank- Franks shows up just then and calls the Joe team a disgrace. Because, uh, again, their base has been totally obliterated. <laughs> yeah, man, it's you know... Well, yeah, it's no wonder they ran out of money because they've replaced this base, I think, four times already. And their entire <laughs> Sky Striker squadron right. at, at, twice as many times. I mean, it's just ridiculous what they right. go through. So then uh, General Franks is yelling at the team, especially Scarlet and Rock and Roll, uh, about how if the Joes didn't exist, then none of this destruction would ha- have to happen. It's kind of that whole, if Batman wasn't around, would the Joker be around? That type right. of thought. Uh, Mutt knocks over some NPs and runs... Uh, I'm sorry, uh, 
junkyard attacks General Franks, uh, but junk, uh, Mutt's actually able to stop him. But uh, General Franks orders that junkyard be executed. Uh, Mutt knocks over some MPs and runs with junkyard. And General Franks orders them to be shot, but one of the MPs was kind of like, I don't really feel comfortable with this. I know. Like, <laughs> um, didn't, it was not that big of a deal, guys. <laughs> and General Franks grabs the uh, rifle to shoot them himself, and Quick Kick actually kicks the gun out of his hand. Uh, but then Quick Kick's arrested, and uh, Rock and Roll tells the general that he'll go get them and rides off on a mirage. Uh, he corners Mutt and Junkyard. Uh, in by a fence and tells Mutt not to move, and that's where the episode ends. It was a good episode. <laughs> I mean, other than the to be continued. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> I mean, other than the extendo arm and everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, pretty solid episode, I thought, at least. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I mean, the, yeah, exactly. The extender arm was about the only super ridiculous thing that happened, but uh, everything else was like uh, loads of, um, I mean, lots of action, loads of vehicles being spotlighted, a, a good cast of characters, you know, not just the kind of typical four or five you yeah. see over and over. You know, there's some extras that are thrown in there, especially on base. A lot of uh, plot set up for the next episode. Yeah, you know, and it's, you know, it's a multi-parter, which is, you know, kind of fun that, you know, just that the, the story is so extended, you know, so yeah. it kind of makes you feel like, oh, this is going to be a big story. So I liked it. Yeah. yeah. How about you, John? I think uh, it is. It's the start of a you know several good shows right in a row. I do like. There's another Marvel reference in there when Duke is captured by the Dreadnoughts and Zartan shows up. He says Zartan, and Zartan says, "Were you expecting Spider-Man?" I thought that was oh, right. yeah, that's right. <laughs> nice. All right, so we're going into part two, uh, and this is picks up right where the previous one left off, where Rock and Roll zooms after Mutt. He yells him not to move, and he actually blows a hole in the chain link fence. Uh, and Mutt shakes hands with uh, Rock and Roll, and Mutt and Junkyard go running off from the base and into a river. Uh, General Franks orders the military police to bring back Mutt alive or otherwise, and Scarlet kind of loses her mind about this, <laughs> understandably. <Yes>. But <laughs> uh, but she's cut short, and General Franks threatens uh, for her to be silent or she'll be guilty of insubordination and tossed in the guardhouse with quick kick. Uh, Mutt asks Junkyard how in the world Cobra has turned their own army against the Joes, and lo and behold, Destro is there to say, how badly do you want to know? Mutt turns around and rejects Destro's offer of information based on on uh, trust and attempts to attack uh, Destro. He pulls a page out of Zartan's book. Yes, he pulls a gas gun from his wrist shooter, <laughs> designed by Zartan. <laughs> And yeah. Max Mutt I thought and he had wrist rockets just, on his uh, on his gauntlets, but I guess he didn't gas. want to blow up Mutt. He just wanted to <laughs> guess. He didn't want to blow up Mutt's junk. So, <laughs> um, but he does knock out Mutt and Junkyard, which I found amusing too, and brings yeah. both with him. <laughs> uh, I'll bring this dog. Like, why would he bring the dog? That makes no right. sense. I understand bringing the person. You know, and you don't see a vehicle anywhere. So you, so Destro's lugging these two guys, you know, or, you know, Mutt, and throws the dog on his shoulder. He's like, well, I think I'll even the load. And, throws, and I don't know you if know. you ever had to carry a big dog like that, but they're heavy as hell. Oh, Mutt, you know, Mutt's at least 200-pound dude, right? And then he's, right. like, throwing a big old Rottweiler over his shoulder, too. I'm like, dang, Destro. I've had to carry a Great Dane. It's not easy. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. <laughs> um, 
So at Cobra's base, Cobra Commander explains to Duke that the Joe's leader uh, simply doesn't understand the full scope of his plan. Uh, so, of course, like any good villain, he's going to tell him the whole plan. <laughs> uh, suddenly, Zartan angrily injects that uh, he invented the Synthoids and helped scheme the Joe's demise. Cobra Commander recounts the creation of the Pentagon Top Brass and Duke's capture and yeah. replacement. So they're bickering. It seems like Cobra Commander cannot get along with anyone. No, it, it's it, uh, well, the only one he gets along with is Duke. I mean, he's captured him long enough that I think right. they've, they've built, built up a repertoire. They're I think they're pals. becoming fast friends. You know, yeah, they keep in touch. They they instant message each other off, <laughs> yeah, off mission. But you know, I'm like, you know, seriously, you know, Duke is going to escape. Yeah. How do you not just shoot him in the head? Like, why take the time? Oh my god. Anyway, I mean, I know it's a cartoon, but it's yeah. like seriously. You <laughs> so saw this guy last week. I mean, yeah. you captured him last week. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how's Scarlet doing? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. Just catching up. <laughs> <laughs> she so got then, any better uh, in that sky tracker <laughs> so then uh duke rushes towards cobra commander and tries to attack the cobra, uh, cobra's leader but he's knocked out by the crimson guard yep. um which does not count as another capture because he never actually escaped no he just gets <laughs> knocked out again right but a half <laughs> um no it's not another half <laughs> um so the Crimson Guard are, are carrying Duke, and Duke actually regains consciousness and punches the guards and runs out of the base and into the swamp while pursued by two Cobra agents who are inside a Cobra water moccasin. Which, again, you know Duke can take out seven or eight Cobra troopers. Right. So to me, this is kind of like, all right, well, two Crimson Guards must Not equal enough. seven, in their minds, must equal <laughs> seven or eight Cobra troopers because right. he plowed through that many in the early miniseries. So. He just, I mean, two two Crimson Guards in an empty hallway is like no match for Duke. And you figure they better call in, pull in every hiss tank and glider in because <laughs> exactly find close one off if all, you wait, close off all the hangers. <laughs> um, so then we have Junkyard, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Scarlet or- is ordered to type up reports and bring General Franks more coffee. However, she dumps her coffee in the wastebasket. <laughs> Uh, she throws down the reports on her desk and contacts Duke. Uh, she suggests that they spread the word about getting the Joes back together and tells him that they should meet at an old bunker on the base. Duke signs off and then reports to General Franks that he's been invited to this meeting with the other Joes. General Franks sends a broadcast to Cobra Commander and is ordered to learn of the plans. Meanwhile, Breaker prints out a map of the transmission's source and destination. So um, I found it interesting, like, like Okay, Duke has to ask General Franks. General Franks has to ask Cobra Command. <laughs> like, yeah. But I guess they are synthoids, so they can't really make those decisions on their own. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of you're kind of curious. Uh, you know, obviously they're it's not quite robotic. You know what I mean? But right. they're artificial in a way. So how intelligent are they? And how can they? You know, can they make decisions on their own? And how how much free will do you give these things? You know, so yeah, yeah, I'm looking into it way too much. But. <laughs> That's right. And how do they get the genetic sample to oh gosh, make yeah. just like these people? So, uh, so Junkyard wakes Mutt up, and they find themselves near a Cobra base. Uh, meanwhile, the Joes hold a meeting in an underground bunker and are told by Scarlet that the Joes who could not make it to the meeting stand by their decision uh, of those that could attend. Uh, they decide- this is another cool shot of just like lots of Joes Everybody, in one yeah. camera shot. Yeah. Like it's, I love whenever they get them get them all together. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Very cool. 
Um, so they decided to investigate the destination of the signal sent from the Pentagon and begin to make plans uh, to acquire Sky Strikers fuel and help Quick Kick break out of jail. Um, the only thing I found weird with the plan was getting Quick Kick out of jail. Yeah. Like, is he that crucial of an element? <laughs> like, uh, how about we skip that step, save the world, and we'll get him out later. Like, you have to figure he's safe in jail. <laughs> like, I know. I mean, he's, I mean, how, I mean, how integral is he to this mission? He's barely wearing clothes. It he knows where the, he knows where the fudgy bars are. <laughs> fudgy. <laughs> they, I mean, it's not like they said we're going to execute him at daybreak or something. No, like he's that. just in jail, right? right. Yeah. So uh, the Synthoid of Duke sneaks out and radios General Franks to set up uh, his trap at the Joe's headquarters. Scarlet walks around the room and explains to everyone that the decision to become outlaws has been made. And while Bill is so thrilled that he whoops into light, <laughs> shoots his guns. And <laughs> <laughs> bah, bah, bah. He's like an outlaw, man. Uh, dressed in a trench coat, CoverGirl runs towards two military police officers at a base and falls in the arms of uh, one of the MPs while Stalker and Ricondos. Uh, knock them out from behind. Uh, the Joes enter the base, break into the armory, destroy the communications room and hot wire fuel tankers before driving them uh, out of the base. Uh, rock and roll breaks quick kick out of jail and hands him his weapons. Uh, Copperhead and two Cobra agents search the swamp near Cobra base for Duke. However, Duke evades the Cobras by breathing through a reed while underwater, which to me was very risky because the water moccasins going right by you you probably could get chopped up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Plus there's alligators. I mean, there's just all these things to take into consideration. So, um, the Joes arrive at their base and Scarlet is concerned about the lack of security around the base, but clutch replies that they should just ring the doorbell and he blasts a hole into the chain link fence. <laughs> uh, the Joes enter the base and find it stripped of all equipment, but Destro is standing in the middle of the room. So, they they made fast work of getting clearing that base out. Like, you no, know, I mean they just blew the crap out of that base. I mean, they were like <laughs> shooting up rooms. You know, they've they've already put two holes in the chain link fences. You know, <laughs> they're just like tearing the place up. That's why I think that's why Rock and Roll was so excited. He's like, "Hey, let's tear this shit up." He's just going to town. <laughs> so the Joes surround Destro, and he tells them that he is at the base to help them, and begins to explain Cobra Commander's plan with the Synthoids. Uh, the synthoid of Duke bursts forward and tells the Joes not to trust him. Scarlet supports Duke's stance and asks why Destro is willing to help the Joes. Um, since Zartan created a synthoid of Destro, he wishes to demonstrate what happens when he is provoked, is his reason for it. Yeah, so once again, we've got uh, Cobra kind of turning on themselves, ruin, yep. ruining the plan. Do not anger Destro. Nope. So, uh, outside the room, General Franks orders the Joes on a megaphone to surrender in three minutes. They burst out of the room, and Destro tells them that they should meet on his ship, the Valkyrie, tapping the gemstone on his necklace, which I always wondered what that did anyway. <laughs> it's just like his like pimp medallion. He's, I would say he's a pimp, that's right. <laughs> um, it also evidently calls small robotic planes <laughs> that uh, land on the ground between the Joes and General Franks and create it like a force field. That was a cool-looking force field. I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, and surprisingly, General Franks didn't have any air support, so <laughs> he, right. wanted to, he wanted to stop them from taking off, but he didn't get any like air support that could have just flown over the force field. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, man, this 20-foot-tall force field is going to be the ruin of us. <laughs> There's no way over it. 
So uh, the Joes get in, in uh, just enough time to climb in aboard their Sky Strikers and fly away before the force field's uh, destroyed. Uh, Duke is found by Copperhead and the Cobra agents and is trapped as uh, a hungry alligators are swimming towards him. Uh, but Duke jumps onto a vine, swings over to the water moccasin, and knocks the Cobra agents off the boat. <laughs> uh, before Copperhead can shoot Duke, Mutt and Junkyard knock Copperhead to the ground. And uh, Duke and Mutt pilot the water moccasin toward Cobra's base. And Mutt worriedly asks uh, what Duke is doing, and Duke replies he is uh, going to do one thing that Cobra doesn't expect, attack. Which seems to be Duke's M.O. is like he's just going to jump into a vehicle of Cobras and just ram it. <laughs> <laughs> it worked before. He's like, no, so, trust me, this works every time I get caught. <laughs> like, trust, like, trust me. I just head right back to them because I figure either I'm going to win or they're just going to capture me again. I know. And then I'll escape and then I'll do it again. <laughs> so uh, aboard his ship, the Valkyrie, which I thought was a great name, um, Destro in- invites the Joes in and Scarlet tracks down Duke and, his, and uh, just as he's trying to transmit... Uh, to the Synthoid Generals, uh, but, so he's interrupted by Scarlet. Uh, Destro shows the location of Cobra's launch base uh, to the Joes and adds that one of the Joes is a Synthoid. Uh, as soon as Cobra Commander learns that the Joes have escaped from General Franks, he orders a Televiper to place the Cobra base on yellow alert, um, which didn't sound very high to me. Isn't it like red alert is the, <laughs> the highest level? This is just like <laughs> caution, they might come here. <laughs> <laughs> like we don't know for sure but <laughs> uh duke and mutt race inside uh using the dock as a ramp and crash into a stack of crates before attacking a couple of cobra agents and splitting up so they can find the pentagon's uh top brass um so they go on lockdown for yellow alert right okay <laughs> is what i found out yeah uh that's when, that's when they're pulling in all the hang gliders and the right. <laughs> like they waited too long for that man <laughs> So Duke urges the Joes not to listen to Destro's warnings because Destro wants to create dissension in the ranks. Uh, Destro replies that the welfare of the Joes is of no consequence to him since all he wants is for Zartan to learn the hard lesson of angering him. And Destro, and every time you see De- like every time you see Duke, he's got these shifty eyes. Yeah, like through this whole scene, he's just like <laughs> back and forth. Like it's kind of like is anyone looking at me. Is anyone- I know exactly. It's just like anybody who knows Duke has got to know something's off here. Destro asks the Joes to leave since their planes are ready and he grows weary of their company, which is a typical Destro thing. Yeah. Uh, Admiral Ledger, Colonel Sharp, General Howe, and General Frank sit in cell 15. I don't know if there was any significance to that or not, but I made a note of that. Um, and they want, and wonder how they were captured. Uh, their guards tell them to be quiet, but he is knocked out by Mutt, who is who winces in pain after hitting the guard from behind. Uh, Mutt asks Junkyard if the men in the cell are, are uh, the real people, and after hearing an affirmative woof from Junkyard, <laughs> Mutt blows the lock off the cell door with a gun. Because no one's going to hear that. <laughs> are you real people? <laughs> I'm thinking, like, Cobra's not that shifty to put fake synthoids in a cell. To <laughs> no, they are not nearly that smart. Are you kidding me? <laughs> So dozens of Sky Strikers converge on the Cobra base, and uh, Cobra Commander orders the Joes to be destroyed. Scarlet and Duke's plane is damaged, and Scarlet tells Duke that her controls are stuck, and that he would have to, uh, she should save him himself. 
Uh, Dookie Jackson lands on the ground and watches the plane crash into into a cannon, which I thought was clever on Scarlet's part. Yeah. Because the real Duke would not leave her behind. I know. He's like, all right, see ya. Pew. Yeah. So much her. <laughs> Sucker. So Scarlet parachutes the safety and follows Duke to a hidden entrance into the base. Uh, Duke attacks her, however, uh, so he knew that she was following him, which I also thought was kind of clever. It wasn't just... It wasn't as surface level as I was thinking it would be. Right. Um, she tosses him around until he has her at gunpoint uh, with her own weapon. The uh, the real Duke runs into the room and tackles the synthoid of himself to the ground, and the two begin to exchange punches. Duke fight. Yep. <laughs> and typical video game boss battle where you have to like fight <laughs> fight yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, Scarlet grabs her weapon and orders both of them to stop. Mutt, Junkyard, and the Pentagon staff enter the room, and Scarlet orders Junkyard to attack, uh, which, of course, he goes after the Synthoid, and Synthoid Duke escapes, which, even though I know Junkyard's always gotten it right, it now puts doubt in my mind, did we ever get the real Duke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or did we have Synthoid Duke? <laughs> but rest assured, we find that out very soon, because uh, uh Scar- uh, Scarlet tells Duke that uh, the real Duke that she's glad to see him in one piece. She gives him like a big hug and everything. Uh, outside the base, Ace and the others decide to use their missiles to destroy the cannons. While inside, Cobra Commander meets the Synthoid Duke and decides to eliminate him for his failure. However, big shocker: <laughs> <laughs> the neutralizer is set at the highest setting so that all the Synthoids are now destroyed. <laughs> yeah, he bypassed the Cobra Commander proof settings. And ruins the entire plan. <laughs> the part that cracks me up, too, is didn't Zartan just put it at a lower setting? So that means Cobra Commander had to put it back up to I the up. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So Cobra Commander and Zartan flee, the, uh, flee and Duke chases after, uh, ordering the others to destroy the cannons by shooting the control panel. Uh, Zartan and Cobra Commander escape the island on a fire bat and nearly fry Duke with the engine's blast. So, so close to losing Duke. <laughs> in front of the entire Joe team, the real General Franks announces that the Joe team is once again operational and given the highest military honors. Uh, and that was the end of the, the second episode. Yeah, he doesn't say if their budget was restored yet. Or, no. Uh, if they're <laughs> they going to get a flyover. All that crap. <laughs> so we get our budget back? Oh, no. I'm sorry. Right, no. Sorry, no. We realized how much you guys are actually costing us. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you shot up your own control room, like <laughs> you'd be amazed at how smart those synthoids are with accounting. <laughs> yeah, exactly, they got their numbers down. And, and Junkyard over this two-part series just had a rough day. Yeah, I mean he was just getting knocked out and lugged around and running into walls and yes, having all but kinds. Once of again, fun. we found that without the Joe Pets, the Joes would be screwed. <laughs> nope, totally every time. We would have two Dukes. We wouldn't know which one was which. I mean, it just. Like, is this our Duke, or maybe this one with the shifty eyes? <laughs> no, it's definitely the one without the shifty eyes. Let's shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, he didn't melt. Crap. <laughs> is, that, is that goo or is that blood? I can't tell. <laughs> so uh, the next episode we have here is the Phantom Brigade, which was probably the hokiest one, in my opinion, out of the five, but I still enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a- my favorite Who's your favorite? <laughs> I think so. I, I like though it's it's sentimental. What can yeah. I say? 
Yeah, um, no, it, it is. This is another one that I remembered from childhood, like that kind of stuck out. And for whatever, I think it's the weirder ones for some reason you just remember. Yeah. But um, uh, I don't know. I like that there were some characters we didn't typically get to see, especially on the Cobra side. Like Major Blood is pretty uh, prominent all throughout, and then you have like the Firebat, uh, you know, pilots and the Cobra Eels, and you know, just yeah. in general, there's characters you wouldn't, you don't get to see every week, so very or often each yeah. episode. Yeah, they um, and like I said, and John, like you were saying, I I liked it because it was it did have that sentimental feeling to it. I I like history stuff, so like seeing the historical characters pop up and everything else, it it really uh, really stood out for me. And and this is definitely one of those episodes, like you were mentioning, Robert. This is one of those episodes that kind of stuck out. Like, oh my god, I totally remember this episode. Yeah, um, when I started watching it. So, but there's some creepiness to this episode too. So let me go ahead and jump jump right in. <laughs> So Major Blood orders a bunch of fire bats to destroy a munitions depot located in the midst of the Carpathian Mountains. Uh, Ivan, of course, one of the soldiers in the plant, <laughs> tries to contact the base's commander for help. Uh, however, with the entire base under attack, the commander cannot send support. So Cobra presses uh, their attack on the ground as well. Uh, flying across the mountain re- uh, mountain region, Scarlet leads a group of Sky Strikers against the Fire Bats. Uh, Scarlet radios Duke, who is leading a convoy of ground equipment to the plant. Uh, however, Scarlet here is not Duke's voice, but Cover Girl's voice, who replies, and don't worry about Duke, he's right here beside me. And Scarlet <laughs> says, yeah, I'll bet, just bet he is. This is when you really see how similar they look. Like, Scarlet has a ponytail, Cover Girl does not. <laughs> That's it. So Duke's just like, doing like long hair or short hair? <laughs> And evidently, the other than Lady J, I would say Scarlet and Covergirl are just hoes because <laughs> <laughs> they're all about like you know hitting on each other's man and stuff like that. It's it's getting ugly. I mean, you got Snake Eyes and Duke and Scarlet and Covergirl. It's you got to love Shipwreck just constantly being disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You, you, never have... see, you know, it's funny because you never see, like, gung-ho hit on anybody. It's, just, no. it's like, look at all you guys with your pretty little hats. Actually, with all five of them, you no longer have a, uh, a love. <laughs> with your pretty little hats, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you no longer have a love triangle. You have a love pyramid. It's the pyramid of pyramid of love instead of the pyramid of darkness with oh, the five gosh. points. Oh, so. <laughs> That's like multiplied Eiffel Tower or something. I don't even want right. to so the convoy arrives at the plant, and Mauler's APCs and armadillos are brought in uh, into the battle to drive back Cobra. Duke orders the Joes to hit Cobra hard and fast. No, nothing to read into there. Uh, before pulling the base commander and Ivan to safety at Cobra uh, as Cobra hang gliders attempt to shoot them, uh, but Gung Ho actually knocks the Cobras out of the sky with a few shots. So Gung Ho with player. no hat again. Yes. Yeah. What is he doing? <laughs> It just looks bizarre. When he's in action, no hat. When he's just casually hanging out, hat. So, uh, Duke orders Gung Ho to guard the base commander and the other soldiers, and the three uh, dive undercover before a fire bat cuts them down. Uh, Gung Ho remarks that the commander sounds like Count Dracula. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Gung Ho, for your, ob- <laughs> your awesome observation skills. I'm glad you're on the mission. And the commander is annoyed that Gung Ho uh, would scoff at their legends of ghosts and vampires. And I think this is when Gung Ho's like, what, no werewolves? 
And everybody else is like, gung-ho, stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) What is with you? Uh, The Firebat pilots go against Major Blood's orders uh, to stay in the fight since they are low on fuel and outnumbered. Um, and the pilots turn to leave, and I think Major Blood offers to pay them more, and they're like, well, we can't pay, you know, six feet under, so, or we can't spend the money if we're six feet under. Um, af- uh, after all of this, an elderly gypsy uh, lady shows up at uh, Cobra Base, and two Cobra Eels uh, try to stop her, but she puts a curse on them, and that causes both of them to let go of her. Uh, the Baroness calls them fools, and then leads the gypsy to Cobra Commander. Major Blood is insulted by Cobra Commander as he reports of his failure, or is insulted by Cobra Commander as he reports his uh, failure to uh, capture the base, and the Baroness walks into the room with the old gypsy woman at this point, uh, which is just the stereotypical gypsy lady. It's, oh, yeah. It's like... like over and covered in shawls and yeah. happy hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think she told Lon Chaney he was going to turn into a werewolf recently, so... <laughs> Um, the Baroness warns Cobra Commander about the unpredictable nature of gypsy magic, but Cobra Commander silences her and tells the old woman to bring warriors who are already dead so he can list them into the, into Cobra's army. Um, she pulls out a pouch, uh, the gypsy does, and explains that she knows of three warriors who can be drawn to objects which were dear to them in life, a Roman coin, a gold ring, and a silver heart-shaped locket. Uh, the gypsy woman brings the warriors who have not crossed into the spirit realm peacefully due to a treacherous or accidental death. The coin brings a Roman soldier. The gold wedding ring brings a female Mongolian warrior, which I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And the locket uh, brings a World War One airman and his biplane. So uh, Cobra Commander explains to the ghosts that their precious possessions will be returned once they have served him. So back at the munitions dump, uh, it's attacked again, except this time by the ghosts, and they're shooting uh, yellow flames that have red eyes and mouths and are wailing. And this is, to me, this was a creepy moment in the show. (laughs) Yeah, it just gets bizarre at this point. You know, like, uh, they can't shoot the ghosts, but the ghosts, like, ammunition and weapons affect them. So it's kind of a... Ghost fires and spirit bullets. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> the uh, the Joes scramble for cover, and Snowjob and Wild Bill wonder if Cobra has switched from stingers to biplanes, because that's when the biplane came in. Uh, lasers pass through the plane, and the Joes bolt for the APC as, it, uh, as it's struck by shots from the, the ghost airplane. Yeah. Um, Scarlet and Roadblock watch a slugger... Uh, turn to ice from an arrow from the Mongolian warrior's bow, and Scarlet fires a disruptor arrow because she thinks it's just a hologram. Which the slugger, uh, I don't remember this toy. Was this oh, yes. a vehicle? Yeah. Yes. I, I totally don't remember it at all. That's the one with just, like, the big cannon on it, right? Yeah, it's just a huge yes. cannon, six wheels, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It looks cool. I wish I had it, but I, I don't even know, like, a... Well, you know what to look for next joke, huh? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um... That'll probably be the custom uh, exclusive or something like that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Night Force Slugger. So the arrow actually that Scarlet shoots actually passes right through the ghost, and the warrior returns a shot of her own arrow. arrow uh, but Roadblock knocks Scarlet out of the path of the arrow. Uh, inside a supply building, Quick Kick tiptoes through the building, and suddenly the third ghost appears, which is the Roman Centurion. 
Uh, and he uses his powers to pull the swords away from Quick Kick and use them and direct them right at Quick Kick. Um, so to prevent the, uh, him from being stabbed to death, <laughs> he, he grabs a sheet of metal that's in the room and all the swords bounce off of it. He then tosses the sheet at the ghost, but it goes right through him. And then the ghost decides, oh, those are metal sheets. I will control them as well. And then he <laughs> sends them all after Quick Kick, which pile on top of them. Quick Kick thinks that Cobra has some type of anti-gravity weapon because of that. Um, Cobra Commander admires the success of the Phantom Brigade. Uh, he turns to the Baroness and notes that she may become useless. However, she coolly replies that the knight is still young. Again, foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> Cobra Commander, keep your mouth shut. What are you doing? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, the Joes continue to dodge the attacks of the biplane and uh, meet the Baroness, who explains that she's come in peace and offers the Joes the secret to the Phantom Brigade, which she got there really quick. Oh, yeah, she must have teleported or something. I mean, yeah, out of the blue, she's there because the fight's still basically going. The fires are still burning. The fight's still yeah. going on. So yeah. it must be just a hop, skip, and a jump between the two bases. Yeah. Um, it's one of those underground bases. You know, the other thing, just kind of like quickly thinking about it, um, you know, these the the two part um, synthoid and, and this one are written by two different people, and I just kind of wonder, you know, obviously that this turnaround where the Baroness, you know, like uh, turns, co- yeah, turns like kinda, Cobra yeah, turns against Cobra Commander, comes right after when Destro does the exact same thing, but it's written by two different people, like. Yeah. These episodes aired the next day. <laughs> I mean, so I wonder, just producing wise, they must not have cared, or I don't know what. You know, what I mean, just like seemed yeah. like a strange coincidence that this is the common theme over and over again, right? right. In a row. It's another connection between Destro and the Baroness and their love for each other. They both turn <laughs> just, traitor. Uh, yeah, the way they think. I don't know. Maybe they're perfect <laughs> for each other. I guess. Um, so Scarlet is suspicious of her help, and the Baroness replies that she's assisting the Joes uh, for the sake of her own job security. Uh, Duke gathers the other Joes and explains that they need to find the three objects which keep the ghosts on Earth and give them a proper burial. Uh, he explains uh, that he, uh, she explains that, she, uh, I'm sorry, he explains that he's not asking the Joes to be believe in, in, in ghost stories. However, the Baroness did tell him where they can find Cobra's base. And the Joes quickly disperse as they are under fire from the biplane and Wild Bill and Covergirl fly into the sky to attack the biplane. Uh, which I thought this was pretty smart of Wild Bill. Uh, Wild Bill doesn't like to attack the uh, plane since he likes to know who he's attacking. So he has CoverGirl put a flag up against the canopy. And the World War I pilot sees sees this and uh, realizes that they're Americans. Um, right. And, and then he lands and they have a chat. They land and they have the talk and he's like, uh, hmm. Wild Bill says, I'm not looking at you, I'm looking through you because the pilot doesn't realize that he's dead. Yeah. Um, it's the sixth sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost as dramatic. What do you mean you can't see me? <laughs> I know. Like, come on. I was just shooting at you a second ago. Right. The other ghosts appear, and they laugh at him since he, he uh, tries uh, his ties to the living have not been severed. Uh, Duke runs forward and tells the laughing ghost to back off. But they disappear, and a uh, circle of snow and icy winds appears around the Joes. The pilot asks the go- other ghosts to stop. So it's got weird powers. Yeah. And it doesn't <laughs> it make doesn't a whole lot of sense. Makes zero sense whatsoever. <laughs> like no sense. Like why why would the Centurion be able to control metallic objects? Why is the Mongolian <laughs> able to control snow? 
Like, I kind of get the fiery bullets from the biplane, but still weird. Yeah. The Mongolian warrior actually appears, uh, and with, uh, and she recalls that her husband, uh, dying soon after they were married and the Arctic winds disappear. And the pilot explains that he must obey Cobra commander until he has Jenny's locket back. So, uh, he could just call, was it eight, six, five, seven, three, oh nine, whatever the hell that number is. <laughs> What's that phone number? I think it's eight, six, seven, five, three, oh nine. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> a snow serpent reports to Cobra Commander that the Joes are planning something big, and Cobra Commander tells his agent to stay in place until he learns more. Uh, as soon as he's off the air, Snake Eyes and Snow Job knock out the the Polar Trooper. Which didn't he look weird? Like because face yeah. mask was totally white. Yes, and it was just yeah. his goggles that had color. I, I remember that when it, when it, I was watching it, I was like, this guy looks. Something's off, you know what I mean? And I realized, oh, yeah. his mask is usually colored in, and his straps yeah. usually have color. Yeah, not this case. It was all white. No, nope, albino snow serpent. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, traveling with Cutter, Scarlet, and Quick Kick, Roadblock wonders, uh, wonders out loud about the afterlife and uh, while on board the whale, which is uh, escorted by the three ghosts. Uh, meanwhile, Duke, Gung Ho, Airborne, and Ripcord parachute to the Cobra base and enter after the pilot, ghost pilot destroys the section of the wall. Uh, meanwhile, Snow Job, Snake Eyes, and Timber attack the fire bat pilots, preventing Major Blood from receiving reinforcements as he attacks the G.I. Joe whale hovercraft. Which I did and, remember, again, when I was a kid, like how cool these fire bat pilots look. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I just love the design. It's a very cool design, yeah. So then Wild Bill strikes uh, Major Blood's Cobra Fang with a missile from his dragonfly, and Major Blood cries out for help as he dives into the water since he can't swim. <laughs> we, I don't know how these people get into, like, military and terrorist organizations, because, like, Lady J's afraid of heights, yeah, Major exactly. Blood can't swim. <laughs> so you think this would have been, like, the initial boot camp, you know, to see if you right. could even qualify. But Yeah. Um, Cobra Commander watches the Joes attack his base with every monitor and curses the ghosts, who appear and demand that they uh, that he return their possessions to them. Uh, however, Cobra Commander grabs the standard uh, Cobra laser rifle and runs away screaming out of the control room and passes Duke and Gung-Ho right by. <laughs> He's like, see you guys, I'm out. <laughs> um, at the underground docks, Cobra Commander is confronted by a skeleton, which this was creepy. Oh, yeah. Um, who cannot be destroyed by lasers and demands that he return uh, that which does not belong to him. And Cobra Commander refuses twice, but on the third time, he drops the trinkets on the ground. And, and I know this is probably very sacrilegious to say, but I always thought of the, uh, when I was reading this after uh, watching the uh, the show, I was thinking of Peter denying Jesus three times, and then the, the Cobra Commander denies the, the spirit twice, and the third time he <laughs> wow, did Wow, you're getting deep, man. I know, <laughs> like, what the heck? I don't think anybody deep. thought 30 years ago that we would... Anybody would be sitting here this kind of depth of thought in <laughs> <No>. these things. <laughs> they were like, ah, throwing a skeleton that talks. <laughs> and exactly. That's probably how deep it got in the uh, 
<laughs> so the skeleton, <laughs> so the skeleton pushes Cobra Commander against the wall and tells him that when he meets his fate, they will be there. Uh, as Duke and Gung Ho arrive, they catch sight of Cobra Commander driving away in a Cobra Hydrofoil. But Duke tells uh, him to let the commander go since they have found what they were looking for, the coin, the locket, and the ring. Which, dumb move, Duke. <laughs> like, well, I mean, what what were they going to chase him in, though? I mean... Yeah, he could shoot at him or something. They could have at least taken a couple pot shots at the guy. Right. I mean, Lucky shot in the head or something. <laughs> <laughs> Unless he's Gung-Ho's brother, that's, or uh, Bazooka's brother, then that's the more. <laughs> um... One by one, the ghosts appear and tell their stories. The Roman centurion explains that he lost his uh, lucky coin gambling one night, which that was the crappiest one. Yeah, you're like, what? That's keeping you as a ghost? Like, what a loser. (laughs) The Mongolian warrior slips the wedding ring on her finger and tells her husband that they will now be together forever. And the young pilot confesses his love for the woman named Jamie. Jamie. Jenny. (laughs) And and then the Roman soldier feels like even more like a turd. Because he went first and had the worst story. And he's like, oh, uh... <laughs> you guys had really good stories, and you just disappeared. If you have a crappy story, go last. Right, exactly. <laughs> Give you enough time to make up something. <laughs> right, seriously. <laughs> uh, then, as the sun rises, Duke buries the three precious uh, possessions, and the Joes stand quietly as they watch the ghosts disappear. The Joes turn to leave, but Wild Bill stops, turns around, and looks up in the sky where he sees the phantom pilot sitting next to a young blonde woman. Uh, they both turn to Wild Bill, and the young pilot gives him a smile and a thumbs-up sign before guiding the plane into the sun, which I thought was a very cool ending. That reminded me of Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Looking at the end and Luke yep. seeing Luke seeing the, the ghosts. Yeah, of uh, of uh, Obi-Wan and Yoda and his father and everything. I know that's Dang. not as deep as, as Jesus and Peter no. and, and such, but uh, <laughs> <No>. yeah. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> Well, and then, like, this the guy, tr- you know, you, you finally get a glimpse of Ginny, and she's totally got this, like, 80s bangs haircut. <laughs> and you're like, this was Ginny from the number on the bathroom stall. They knew it. <laughs> Although I did notice in this episode a huge plot hole situation. The ghosts? No. Why were the, why were the, go- why were the ghosts able to turn on Cobra Commander? I thought he controlled them because he had their trinkets. Because mm. he's like, I command you to go out, and they went out and fought for him, and then when they were talking to the Joes are like, yeah, why are we fighting for Cobra Commander? Let's yeah, just go after him. Yeah, this makes no sense. <laughs> it's like, why did they agree to fight for him to begin with? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, but uh, again, I, I like this episode. I remember, even though it's more like supernatural and stuff like that, like I thought it was a fun episode. I enjoyed it. So I never, I'm glad they didn't do like tons of supernatural stories. I didn't mind it. I think it kind of harkens back to say like the whole, Nazi, uh, you know, yeah. of Hitler looking for supernatural resources. To oh, yeah. So and so, you know, but, um, yeah, I, I, the, I liked it because of the nostalgic reason I could kind of take it or leave it now, but I thought it was yeah. all right. Yeah, I enjoy it. John, anything else to say with this episode? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, again, I, I enjoy it. I think it's fun and it, uh, especially the poor World War One pilot and his yeah. lost Jenny yeah. and, not realizing yeah. that he's a spirit is, you know, it's a little right. Bit. Yeah, it's an emotional moment. Touch of melancholy. Yep. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. 
Hey, I'm Gary. I'm Mike. I'm Chuck. And I'm Justin. Join the four of us every week on the Internet's number one and longest-running G.I. Joe podcast, What's on Joe Mind? It's Joe News, reviews, and interviews like you've never heard them before, delivered right to your MP3 player. Our guests include Jason Marsden, Kevin Michael Richardson, and Matt Yang King from G.I. Joe Renegades, Larry Hama, Robert Atkins, and John Barber from IDW Publishing, and many more from around the online Joe community. Yeah, it's guys talking about Joe. Think of it as Joe Talk meets Sports Talk. And we make fun of Chuck. Right. And we pay again. Come on, Chuck. We're just kidding, kinda. Sometimes Chuck makes fun of himself. Right. And we. Okay, seriously, this is just getting ridiculous now. It's What's on Joe Mind every week on the GeekCast Radio Network, InsidePulse.com, Stitcher Smart Radio, and iTunes. Download and listen today. I suppose I still can't say something about Transformers, can I? Good. No. What about sports? That sounds good. Yeah, that's all right. Movie Week in Review is the GeekCast Radio Network's weekly movie podcast. Steve and Mike take a look back on their favorite films and give you their thoughts. They also bring in co-hosts at times. If you are a movie buff, listen to MWire only on GeekCastRadio.com. Tooncast is dedicated to the cartoons we grew up with. 100 episodes and more make up one of the GCRN's most popular podcasts. Join hosts TFG and Mike, Optimus Solo, Terror the Rising Star, and tons of guest hosts. We also have voice actor and writer interviews. Tune in to Tooncast as we look back on the cartoons that defined us as geeks. You can find Tooncast on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Tune in. Cybertron. Thank you, Soundwave. I am TFG1 Mike, and you should be listening to my very first podcast, the TFG1 Podcast. 24 episodes covering the entire U.S. run of the 1984 Transformers cartoon. Also, a few supplemental episodes in an interview with Stan Bush. So, check out the TFG1 Podcast. You can find it on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Transform and roll out. Now, back to G.I. Joe. All right, uh, the next episode uh, we came across uh, in this series of five is Lights, Camera, Cobra, uh, <laughs> which scared me just from the title alone. <laughs> I know, you just know this isn't going to be the best episode ever. I mean, there's a lot of cool points to it. Yeah, there is. <laughs> but at the same time, there's a lot of cheesy points to it, too. But. Uh, when, the title, when the title's not taking itself seriously, you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> right. <laughs> We open up and we see uh, that there's a bunch of villagers being led away from their homes, and Cobra Commander tells his troops to eliminate them. However, the G.I. Joe team arrives and attacks Cobra. Uh, Duke le- leads Snake Eyes, Gung Ho, and other Joes, and then turns to Cobra Commander and chases him down. But as Duke tackles Cobra Commander, they smash through a paper brick wall. <laughs> um, and and I'm trying to remember in the in in the cartoon like. I can't remember. Could you tell right away that it wasn't Duke or I feel like, you, you know, I, yeah, I, wrote down, I, I wrote down, is this a Joe Cobra battle and a bunch of question marks? Cause I, I didn't remember the opening other than, you know, Duke didn't, they didn't look quite right. Yeah. It's like, what is going on? It did have funky music though. It's probably the best music they've had in a episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything looked just off. I mean, uh, right. Cobra commander looked the same. Obviously the Cobra troopers look the same, but right. I remember when, when, um, when Duke jumps out, I was like, yeah, something about his design isn't quite right. And I don't think his, um, does he have a bandolier on? I, all of them have a little something. So, yeah. Yeah. Something different. Not right. 
yeah. that's there's missing. And then of course, you know, seeing Gung Ho with like <laughs> a little bit of hair on the back of his head, you know, like right. just balding right on top. I was like, what? It makes this guy look like he's forty years old out there, you know. The best would have been if they had like snake eyes yelling like Yo Joe. <laughs> I know you're like, what bizarre world is this? Like, yeah. Something's wrong here. So uh, taking off his helmet, the actor portraying Cobra Commander curses the actor playing Duke and threatens to sue for the injury to his back. And wasn't he like this really old guy or something like that after the helmet was taken yeah. off? Yeah. <laughs> um, so as the actors walk by the director, George Landsberg, which I'm sure is like a combination of like George Lucas and um, uh, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Steven Spielberg. And I was even thinking of uh, was John, the one Landis. Guy, John Landis. That's who I was trying to think of. Yeah. So I'm sure it's a blend of all three of them. Um, <laughs> and then uh, his producer is Marty Goldblatt. Uh, and the director exclaims that everything is wrong. The movie lacks authenticity. He demands to have real G.I. Joe technical advisors. So then we go to, no big surprise, we go inside a temple. <laughs> and there's Destro and Cobra Commander. <laughs> They right. find Another temples. temple, yeah. They find these temples all over the place. And this one is huge. This is elaborate. I mean, most of them look pretty expansive, but this one, I remember seeing that when we when I was watching through it, I was just like, wow. Yeah. This is a nice one. They, they didn't hold back, so. Absolutely. And then we have, uh, so uh, Destro enters to Cobra Commander's chambers, and, Cobra's, uh, and Cobra Commander is actually finishing a meal and informs him that he has located the fire bat, and Destro turns to the side and demands that Cobra Commander puts his hood back on. So I wonder <laughs> yeah, like if... Yeah, like, like he's disgusted, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's like, I'm wondering if this is maybe the first sign that Cobra Commander isn't totally human, or if it's just that they're hinting that he's just scarred up, or... Is he, is he Darth Vader? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so Destro recounts the tale of Cobra Commander's elite troops uh, failing to deliver the plane, uh, this plane, and recommends destroying the fire bat, uh, which is located at Miracle Studios and contains a homing device that could lead the Joes back to the Cobra base. Which I don't know why that's big a big concern. They'll just move on. They could just move on to another temple. Exactly. <laughs> but they've made this one look so nice, to your point, Robert, that they probably just don't want to move. Yeah, so. this is like their getaway. <laughs> uh, Cobra Commander ignores Destro's advice and decides to contact Zartan. Big shocker that he ignores Destro's advice. Um, <laughs> and and uh, it just happens that right then at that moment, well, he the reason he decides that is because it's cheaper to hire Zartan and the Dreadnoughts to go retrieve the, uh, the uh, fire bat than it is to pay Destro $15 million for a new one. So, um, And we go over to Zartan and his crew are actually robbing uh, a London bank at that time. Well, I was going to so, say, like, uh, Cobra Commander's kind of acting a bit stingy here. Yeah. Uh, well, after they spent that, all the money on that huge temple. <laughs> well, I was say, after you lose that many bases and then you elaborate this base, you, you start running short on funds. Yeah. Well, fifteen millions for a for a fire bat, and how many how many fire bats do you see some from time to time? <laughs> right, fifteen million, really? And then, well, and then you have to throw in the fact that he just spent all that money on that fun house <laughs> <laughs> with the you know the bar the robotic carnival barker, and you know that's not cheap. So I mean, and the whole roller coaster was put in there. I mean, uh, so then we have. Uh, uh, Zartan tells the rest of the crew to uh, stop what they're doing, and they're like, "But you know, 
he says, why make 1 million when we can make 4 million? Uh, and, uh, they just received, and he says, we just received an offer to, to make a movie. So, uh, so then we go to the airport. Uh, okay, I don't understand why they stopped the robbery. There's no police anywhere <laughs> nearby. Like, and, and what is Buzzer's chainsaw made of? It like it cut through two feet of like solid concrete or steel. Right. I mean, well, that, this thing that, is diamond tipped. You know. To your point too, what what's wrong with stealing this money and then also making money from the Cobra job? Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> Luckily, the Dreadnoughts are so dumb. They're yeah. like, all right, you know, and they just go. We'll put it back. <laughs> it makes no sense. Um, so then we're at the airport near Hollywood, and we have Mutt, Junkyard, Blowtorch, Dusty, Ricondo, Covergirl, and Shipwreck. And they're all met by Marty Goldblatt, and he's uh, who's told by a female flight attendant that he, that he is not a moment too soon in picking them up since the sailor is driving her crazy. Once again, Shipwreck is hitting on the women. <laughs> uh, it never ends with this guy. <laughs> So the Joes are escorted to a desert location, and uh, we see Cobra Stingers, G.I. Joe Silver Mirages, uh, Mobats, and uh, the Vamp Mark II uh, that have been loaned from the U.S. government to the studio in order for George Landsberg to achieve his goal for the film, which was, again, total authenticity. Um, Shipwreck throws his arms around the director and tells him that perfection cannot be achieved without official G.I. Joe smoke shifters. (laughs) Which doesn't even sound like a real thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, the director orders his producer to give Shipwreck a car and some money. And as the sailor drives off, CoverGirl follows in on a silver mirage in order to keep him out of trouble. So uh, we then have Zartan telling Torch to follow the Joes who have left for the town uh, while he and the other Dreadnoughts will destroy the set. Uh, he approaches Rakondo and Dusty and Zartan actually pretends, which I thought this was ingenious. He pretends that he's an actor pretending to be Zartan. Yeah. It's like, why you don't even need a disguise. So it's like what? This guy's costume's way better than everybody else's though. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he tells the Joes that Cobra's equipment is superior when it comes, uh, when compared to the Joes and they're not willing to tolerate this. So they accept a midnight race in the desert. <laughs> and and I like how both of them have to be on the bike too. They're doing a yeah, race. Exactly. It's like, well, let's both ride it. Hop on. Let's show this guy. You know, it's just ridiculous. Right. Plus, wouldn't that weigh you down? You have two riders. You have one. <laughs> I have no idea what they're thinking. <laughs> so, um, so they race against a Cobra Python cycle, uh, and they have the Silver Mirage and. Uh, Buzzer and Ripper shoot at the Joes, and that causes them to crash into the ravine. Um, they don't go down to the ravine to finish them off. They just no, they just shoot them down there. <laughs> they're they're good down there. Uh, meanwhile, we have Cover Girls driving through town, shouting Shipwreck's name, and she uh, stops out. Which he's not a dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shipwreck, come on. Shipwreck. <laughs> Um, she stops outside a bar when someone's thrown out the window and, uh, cover girl runs inside. And I think shipwreck says something like you're just in time or something like that. Um, torch sneaks into the pool hall and calls the police to report a riot, but he's interrupted by a large biker, uh, who basically looks like torch after he's eaten a big Thanksgiving meal. Yeah. I was a little confused right at first. 
So then we go back to Buzzer helps destroy the desert set by cutting a support beam on a water tower. Uh, and this causes the, the tower to crush the camera uh, while, the, while there's some scenes in progress. Um, elsewhere, we have Ripper shoots at, at Blowtorch and, and Mutt. However, Junkyard jumps onto the uh, onto the Joes and pushes them to the ground. Again, the pets saving the Joes' lives. <laughs> like, uh, they should get like medals of accommodation or something. You know? I mean, they should get like diamond encrusted you know, <laughs> yeah. collars or something. Purple I mean, hearts or something. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, Junkyard's gotten hurt enough times. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then we uh, they realize that Rip, uh, Ripper, the Ripper that's on set, is the real one. And Mutt sends Junkyard to attack Ripper. Uh, as the set, uh, set continues to explode, Zartan places an explosive on the fire bat, but Mutt tackles Zartan to the ground while Blowtorch rips the bomb off of the plane and tosses it into the air. Um, diving for cover as the bomb explodes, he knocks Mutt off Zartan, and Zartan uh, flees with the other dreadnoughts on the Python cycles. So we have Land- Mr. Landsberg, who... To me, is just like another uh, a Rivera guy, uh, <laughs> a Rivero. What was it your kid called him? Hector Ramiro. You're Ramiro, my hero. Yeah. <laughs> oh so uh, Landsberg shouts with glee and exclaims that they have just witnessed the most realistic battle scene he's uh, he's ever seen. However, the cameraman next to him tells him that he doesn't have it on film since the water tower crushed uh, crushed the camera. And as the two survey the lot, they find that the remaining three cameras, uh, two were destroyed, and the third was not even activated by the cameraman who was tending to the long shot. So I love when they, they go back to him, and he's like, I didn't even have it on. Yeah. <laughs> Shipwreck calls Marty and asks if they can bail him out of jail. Oh, guys. <laughs> Why did they let Shipwreck even go on these missions? They probably oh, sent no. Shipwreck on this mission because they're like, we don't want him dealing with the serious stuff. We don't want him, we don't want him at base because this is when our bases explode. I know, but they send him off to do this little job. He gets in a bar fight, gets arrested. Right. Uh, the other Joes pick up shipwreck and cover girl and drive off in a limo without Marty. So they leave Marty behind. <laughs> uh, they travel to the studio uh, and Joe and Cobra uh, to the studio's Joe and Cobra vehicles lot and decide to take a few flight pods and Cobra Rattlers in order to, to comb the desert for their missing friends of Dusty and Rakondo. Uh, Shipwreck offers to stay behind and guard the fire bat. However, Carver Girl grabs him by the ear and tells him that Mutt and Junkyard can stay behind and that uh, he's coming with her because she wants to keep an eye on him. Because she did such a good job the last time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't leave this guy alone. I mean, No, not at all. Uh, Marty and George uh, want to uh, walk to the studio lot with the vehicles and catch sight of the Joes borrowing the vehicles, the same pieces of equipment that they need for the that day's shoot. Uh, Cobra Commander calls Zartan a fool for not completing his mission and tells him that that Tor- uh, and Zartan tells him that Torch was captured. Uh, the Dreadnoughts want to spring uh, Torch out, but Cobra Commander wants the firebat situation taken care of first. So then we go to the desert, and Ricondo is told by Dusty that the heat is not so bad as long as they stay mellow. So evidently he took a cue from Footloose. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A coyote appears and begins to snarl at at their newest meal, and Dusty explains that the coyotes are only dangerous when they're in packs. And of course, much like anything else in life, as as soon as you say something... 
it happens, and seven more coyotes actually appear. Uh, Shipwreck luckily spots his friends and dives low to the ground to scare and scatter the, the coyotes. Uh, Dusty and Ricondo at first believe they're being attacked by Cobra when they see the trouble bubble, but uh, when they hear Shipwreck's voice, they're surprised um, that it's actually him. And they're like, we know that voice anywhere. <laughs> right, they're like, crap, now we're really in trouble. <laughs> Uh, Shipwreck dives to the ground and scares the rest of the coyotes. Uh, he radios the other Joes that he's found uh, their friends, but one of the coyotes bites him in the pants. <laughs> Kicking the coyote off and watching it fall into the river, Shipwreck does uh, an imitation of the Roadrunner by going, meet me. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it, I can't make this stuff up. This <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh so then we have, uh, returning to the studio, Shipwreck begins to yell to Mutt that Ricondo and Dusty have been uh, found, but stops in mid-sentence when he sees Mutt and Junkyard unconscious on the ground. Once again, we need to start counting how many times Junkyard gets knocked out. <laughs> yeah, no I'm kidding. pretty sure this is the third or fourth time already. <laughs> Probably. Um, or Junkyard this poor, just this poor dog is going to get brain damage. <laughs> He's ever been mind controlled, knocked out probably four times. His own, you know, Mutt knocked him out once. He beat him with that stick. Right. Whacking yeah. his junk that time. It was like... He's whacking his junk, right. Um, uh, poor junkyard. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, sh- let's see. So then we have... Um, picking up where I left off. Poor, <laughs> poor junk. <laughs> we actually have where uh, tur- he tur- uh, Shipwreck turns around suddenly and Shipwreck uh, dodges Buzzer's punch, which is more than Duke's been able to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And however, he he does get uh, he gets into a fight with Ripper, but then Zartan is actually able to, to uh, punch him into the fire bat. And as the shipwreck is knocked out, he taps the autopilot button and flies off to Cobra's base uh, with the aid of the homing beacon. Uh, Mutt awakens just as uh, the dread knocks, and Zartan flee, and shipwreck flies away. Uh, Cobra troops take defensive positions. Uh, as Cobra's base uh, at Cobra's base while the firebat lands and shipwreck awakens and finds himself surrounded by Cobra agents. He immediately stands up and declares that they are all his prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> I do like this. Like, that this was is one fun. of the first things I've ever, I've heard shipwreck say. I'm like, man, he's got balls. Like that was, <laughs> that was awesome. I love that part. Yeah. I thought that was, that was good. That was one of the few times I've actually laughed at something that shipwreck did. <laughs> and then of course, though he's knocked out and he's dragged away. <laughs> Well, I mean, oh. he's surrounded by yeah. troopers, crimson guards, you know, Destro, Cobra Commander. It's and he can't take on seven guys like Duke can. So no, no. I will give Duke that credit. He can take on like seven, eight Cobra troopers before he's finally taken down. That's true. Um, so then, inside the commissary at uh, Miracle Studios, the Joes grumble over their losses, and Marty storms into the room, wondering out loud if uh, their next move is to burn down the studio. <laughs> Cover Girl explains that they could use some Hollywood magic to get Shipwreck back. And uh, Cobra Commander listens to Shipwreck ask if he expects him to talk. And uh, Cobra Commander then states that uh, he only expects him to fry. And we actually find out that Shipwreck is standing on a a beam over some molten lead. (laughs) And he's trying to avoid lasers as Crimson Guards are shooting at him. (laughs) Oh, dude. And then there's a Crimson Guard that reports uh, that the Joes have sent a message because 
again, they somehow know to, to get in touch with Cobra Commander because there's a message that comes across the ultra-secret transmission frequency. <laughs> um, uh, they're cover- really good at labeling these things. Yes. <laughs> well, and you know, they always seem to be able to contact each other. We've seen this yes. in other episodes. It's like all of a sudden, yeah, they get this. It is. It's ultra-secret. Yep. Well, I mean, we- I just pick up the phone and call them. Well, we've already said that Cobra Commander and Duke probably stay in touch with each other. So. I think so. <laughs> uh, so Cover Girl explains that Torch, uh, who's strapped to a table, is about to be crushed with a large plate uh, covered with spikes. And, uh, and he's about to give up the location of the Cobra headquarters. Uh, they demand that Cobra returns shipwreck to them. Uh, as the transmission end, ends, uh, Cover Girl hands Ricondo a towel so he can wipe the make off up off of his face because uh, he was impersonating uh, Torch. Um, as Zartan and the Dreadnoughts rescue Torch and return back to the motel, the rescue Dreadnought tells Zartan that the female Joe had, had actually been studying his face, and this alarms Zartan because he's, you know, the master of disguise. Um, and he tries to contact Cobra Commander. Uh, however, a televiper tells Zartan that Cobra Commander has ordered all radio frequencies to remain silent. <laughs> So once again, Cobra Commander's decision is not working in his favor. <laughs> Destro believes Cobra, Cobra has fallen into a trap and orders the Cobra forces to attack the Joe's. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> it's the like Jose... knee jerk. I can't help it. Sorry. I understand. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Joe's scatter and rescue shipwreck while Junkyard attacks Cobra Commander. Uh, as the battle goes on, Landsberg does not know what is happening, but he wants it all on film. Uh, Shipwreck asks Covergirl how they're going to get out alive, and she points to the sky, and there's a bunch of G.I. Joe Sky Strikers that attack the Cobra Firebats at that point. Um, screaming for Destro to get him out of the field of battle, Destro tells Cobra Commander to follow his signal. Uh, at a saloon... Uh, Cobra Commander keeps Cover Girl at bay until Shipwreck shoves a burning wagon into the saloon. However, Cover Commander sneaks out the back and climbs into Destro's fire bat. Once again, Destro, always the expert in escape. He always seems to be, have that escape plan ready. So, yep. With the studio in ruins, Marty yells at Shipwreck and Cover Girl. However, Cover Girl explains that the situation is worse than he believes because Cobra Commander escaped. Landsberg drives up and tells them that he has captured all the battle on film. As a result, the Joes are exonerated. And then while at the premiere of the G.I. Joe story, the Joes, who are in all in tuxedos, watch Landsberg drive up and explain to the group of reporters that the film wouldn't have been possible without the help of two very special people, his mom and his dad. In which case, Shipwreck then wants to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should make note that Cover Girl is also in a tuxedo. Yes. Yeah, that makes I, no sense. <laughs> a former model. Now, I, and I want to talk about this because I think this is one of the first episodes where she really comes to the front. And do you guys think anybody else has gone through as many changes design-wise as CoverGirl has? Obviously, you know, Snake Eyes has had some changes, but she's had this short red-haired bob. She's blonde. She's – I just – I'm fascinated by this, and it, you know – Again, she's supposed to be a supermodel, a retired supermodel, and she's there in a tux. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, I think this should put to rest all those concerns that Lady J was the one who was a lesbian. Because maybe it was CoverGirl. I didn't have any concerns about that. (laughs) I don't know about Robert, but... (laughs) 
It's kept me up at nights. I don't even know what to think about it. <laughs> well, I know there's been a lot of fans out there that have said, oh, you know, Lady J is a lesbian. Look at, listen to that smoky voice. And, and she has the butch haircut and all that type of stuff. <laughs> and I deny that. But like I said, maybe we want to take a look at Cover Girl. That's all I'm saying. I think Landersburg had better hair than she did in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I actually yeah. just, in my last employer, I worked with a guy in 2013 that had that haircut. I laughed when I was watching <laughs> oh, that. Oh, wow. <laughs> nicest guy in the world, but boy, you talk about a sweet dude, man. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, uh, I did make a note that this is the, uh, this time it was neither Duke nor Flint who were captured. It was actually Shipwreck. He, yeah. he he took on that responsibility this time. So, and we didn't actually see Duke or Flint in this episode. So, uh, it was basically Shipwreck and, and Cover Girl taking center stage, which was actually kind of nice to see someone else taking. Uh, it was kind of like a spotlight almost on Cover Girl. Yeah, I mean, they, if you think about it, they could have easily have used uh, Flint and. And Lady J for these parts or something like that. So it's cool that they use CoverGirl at least, you know, just to give her some airtime. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I agree. I don't know why they didn't keep her blonde. I think that would have helped distinguish her a bit more. I'm not really sure. Yeah. I mean, we already had a redhead already yeah. established, and we have a brunette. Why? You know, we've yeah, already but she, shown. But even the original figure was a redhead too. That's why, like I said, it seems like you know, you, yeah, she's the cartoon version is much more in line with the original figure. And again, it seems like she has certainly progressed. I know Scarlet's had a uniform change from the leotard business, but you know, it's just uh, it's kind of funny to watch some of these, especially and think, you know, kind of how they've morphed over the years. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Uh, anything else you guys wanted to say about uh, lights, camera, cobra? Well, I, I kind of going back to where when um, the shipwreck was thrown in jail, like. He's such a jerk. Like, this guy comes and bails him out, and then he leaves him on the curb. <laughs> he just takes out. He's like, thanks, man. You're like, oh, my gosh. I would hate Shipwreck so bad. <laughs> he's like totally the, the friend you don't want to admit that you know. It's just kind of like, oh, my gosh, this guy. Nice. Yeah, uh, Shipwreck definitely, I mean, not to the level of Polly, <laughs> but Shipwreck definitely would grate on my nerves at times. Uh, yeah. Uh, as we went through. So what you're saying, Robert, is that Shipwreck is not be fastly becoming one of your favorites. No, it's quite the opposite. He's quickly becoming one of my least favorites. Um, no, I think Shipwreck, I mean, you kind of think, well, Shipwreck, might, he might be fun to have around. He, he can crack a joke and occasionally be funny. Uh, but you know, eventually he's just going to hit on your woman and oh, yeah. then like ask you to bail him out and then take off without you and get in more trouble. I'm, if I was Mutt, I'd be concerned about even leaving Junkyard around with him. So. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, CoverGirl doesn't trust him. She had to babysit him. Right, exactly. He's he's probably like in the assisted living bunker of the G.I. Joe dormitories. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Uh, well, and we don't even know really when he became an official Joe because when he was first <laughs> met, he was just a mercenary. He just started showing up. He's just kind of one of those guys who becomes part of the group, and you never, nobody ever knows how that happened. He just like met up with Flynn in a bar, and then he's at the, all the Joe meetings, and then getting deployed. And they're like, "We never signed this guy up. Like, how did this happen?" <laughs> and they're like, "Come to think of, it, we never signed Quick Kick up either." I know those two guys. I swear. Well, and then that's what made it so crazy when that one girl wanted to join. They're like, "Well, you got to go down to the recruitment office." I'm like, "Please, you mean just show up and start going out with you guys?" <sighs> Nice. 
Um, all right, so the next uh, episode that we have is uh, Cobra's Candidate. Ugh. Which, which <laughs> I'm going to say. should have been an ABC after school special. <laughs> well, I'm going to say right now oh, that Cobra's God. Candidate was Duke in disguise. <laughs> because I don't know if you noticed, but that was definitely Michael Bell's voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as the candidate. Oh, uh, they didn't even really try to disguise it very much. <laughs> no, he just kind of played the same part, but just overweight right. and politician, you know? Right. Like. <laughs> All right. So getting into this one, and again, feel free to stop me at any point of anything you in particular. Um, so Robert Harper, a uh, mayoral candidate uh, with the platform of law and order, tells the unseen voting community that uh, he promises to bring peace to the city if elected. A local thug wearing a bright red jacket with the word rogue on the back rips a poster of Harper off a telephone pole. Uh, while we also see two other gang uh, member like looking thugs, Rick and Pilar, they decide to go door to door and take a poll uh, by knocking on a door and telling the homeowner that he will not vote for Harper, but needs to vote for Whittier Greenway. Uh, Harper stands at a podium and continues to repeat his campaign's theme while the gang members toss food at him. To me, this is a genius way to get voted. Just hire the local thugs to go and tell them to vote for the other guy. And you already have people voting for you. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the early on plot twist is, you know, you think that these guys have gotten hired to basically get, uh, you know, to make sure that Harper loses the election. But right. And then they kind of show you know, pretty quickly, though, that, that's, it's I, kind of this uh, reverse psychology idea with the yeah. common people. I'm just surprised that there's been no politicians that have tried this this day and age. So it seems like a great campaign strategy. Um, so, yeah. on the All right, freeway, sign me up. I want a rogues jacket. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, on the freeways of, of the city, uh, freedom flies over Scarlet as she listens to Colonel Sharp explain that Joe's have been assigned to protect Harper and are told to keep their heads since the enemy is barely old enough to vote. Uh, just as the podium stage is uh, destroyed by the gang, the Joes, Scarlet, Zap, uh, Snake Eyes, Lady J, Spirit, Timber, and Freedom uh, arrive uh, in the uh, Mirage motorcycles, and they drive the gang away. Uh, Freedom squeals, and the Joes then follow the gang uh, to the roof. Uh, so again, the Joe Pets leading them to where the bad guys are. Uh, however, a gang member signals to the Dreadnoughts and Buzzer, Torch, and Ripper ride their Cobra Ferrets off the rooftop of one building and drop onto the top of another <laughs> building to help out. These things are amazing. I mean, they can fly in zero gravity. They can leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's crazy. I wonder how, million, how many millions of pop these things cost. <laughs> no kidding. Well, it seems like they're indestructible, so we don't have to worry. <laughs> It's not like we have to replace them. Right. Um, All I could think of is, like, I've fallen over the handlebars of my bicycle a couple times in my life. I can't imagine diving from one building over to another (laughs) building and landing perfectly without flying off the thing. (laughs) I think these guys would be saddle sore in the morning. I don't know. (laughs) Um, So what they do is they shoot the ladder away. That causes uh, Zap, Spirit, and Snake Eyes to fall to the ground while Lady J and Scarlet uh, flip over the side of the building and crash through the window of an apartment rented by a guy who has just stepped out of the shower, which 
right there, that's a dream moment right there. If I ever step out of the shower and there's a redhead and then a brunette right there, I mean, I can't ask for anything more. <laughs> <laughs> um, Scarlet and Lady J return to the ruins of the fire escape uh, on the ground. However, they do not find their, their teammates. Uh, since they're under orders to protect uh, Robert Harper, the Joes return to the park and help him out of the wreckage. The other Joes are led to an underground prison inside a railroad tunnel, and the gang members are told by the Dreadnoughts that they have messed the job and shouldn't be paid. Uh, this angers Pilar, who is uh, pushed to the ground by Ripper as she attempts to rough him up a bit. The Joes run from their captors and are pursued by the gang members. Snake Eyes is tackled to the tracks by Pilar as a train zoomed towards them. And this is crap. This is absolute <laughs> crap. I know they told him to pull their punches, but some punk kid tackles Snake Eyes? Yeah. <laughs> this is... Oh. I, can, I completely agree. This would not happen. And I'm sorry. I think 30 years ago, I think I thought it was crap. I don't remember, <laughs> but I bet I did. I can see you, John, be like, no, no. He's pointing at the television screen going, that would not happen. <laughs> he instantly pulls out his piece of paper and writes a letter to Hasbro. I this did. I wrote, I, I have a note. I said, Pilar takes snake, snake eyes down. What the hell? <laughs> 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 So we have Pilar uh, freezes and screams, but Snake Eyes grabs her and flips out of the way uh, of the oncoming oncoming train. Uh, Torch fires around near Snake Eyes' head and threatens the other Joes uh, that he will uh, be killed if they do not return. And the remaining Joes return and are once again led to their prison. The uh, Then we have Harper, Lady J, and Scarlet approach at Extensive Enterprises building. And Harper tells the Joes that he is late for a meeting with his advisors, which have, haven't we already established that extensive enterprises is the bad guy's place? Yeah, I mean, this is no secret at this point. <laughs> it should have been a red flag immediately when well, Lady Jane Scarlet got there. And we're always, are we always in the same city? Is extensive enterprises has buildings so. everywhere? It you seems know, like that. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, especially Lady J, she scaled extensive enterprises building once before. Um, so she should be familiar be like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is that building I fell out the window of. <laughs> right. And it has those poles that shoot out. This looks vaguely familiar. So I don't know, I don't know how these guys haven't been brought up on charges. I mean, they've obviously <laughs> committed terrorist, terrorist crimes against, you know, United States or people or whatever, but they just go back to work the next day. Yeah. Like, I think they only do Cobra stuff on the weekends. <laughs> so we have uh, uh, Scarlet and Lady J stay outside to see if anyone follows them. Uh, Harper is congratulated by Tomax and Zamot. Uh, he's given a, a large briefcase full of money and is told by Cobra Commander on a nearby monitor that Harper holds a commanding lead in the, the mayoral race. Um, after Harper explains that the Joes are protecting him, from the street gangs, Cobra Commander rubs, uh, uh, wait, that's not. What? (laughs) Say what? I don't remember this part. (laughs) He rubs lotion on them. No. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to read my own notes. Wow. Uh, oh, he, he rubs his hands together lovingly that, that uh, the Joes are working for them. So, I left a couple words out of there. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, so uh, outside the building, the Joes scale the wall 
using suction cups and rope. And Lady J confesses that she is not crazy about heights, uh, which we've established. I don't know how many uh, times. She's been on the outside of this building before. So, <laughs> uh, While Cobra Commander explains that Cobra can achieve its goal uh, for the city by simply making the, their goals laws, Scarlet and Lady J eavesdrop and watch from behind a window. Uh, Cobra Commander also explains that the gang members are simply pawns who attack, uh, whose attacks on Harper in the name of Greenway have made Harper more attractive to the voters. Uh, and when Harper wins the election, he can arrest the gang members and appear t- uh, to keep his campaign promise of bringing law and order to the city. Um, as the Joes sneak away, Tomax and Zamot catch sight of them and walk to an elevator, explaining that they need to take care of a piece of business that just came up. Uh, inside their Cobra costumes, Tomax and Zamot attack the Joes by removing the suction cup from the building, which they changed really fast. Yeah, exactly. They have bad I mean, holes. They have to have, like, <laughs> tear, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they tear away suits that as they right. come down the pole, it just suctions off of them. <laughs> right. Um, Scarlet grabs a ledge and swings onto the building while Lady J grabs one of her, uh, one of the first ropes still attached to the building. Uh, Zaymot jumps above Lady J, and just as he's about to remove the rope, Scarlet swings for an op- uh, from an open window and knocks him into a garbage bin. Uh, and since Tomax shares a psychic bond with his brother, he falls into the bin also. Okay, well, if, if you, I mean, kind of looking at a screenshot here, he falls at least six stories. Oh, yeah. Into a dumpster. I don't care if that dumpster is filled with, like, cotton balls. He is a dead man. Like, hey, I just, full airbags. That's what stuntmen do. They fall off six-story, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I also love, though, too, how there's always a garbage bin just happens to be <laughs> right there. The street. It's like an abandoned street. Nothing else is there except for two dumpsters. <laughs> So Scarlet actually closes the lid uh, to the bin and the Joes rush off to find the leader of the gang. Uh, Storm Shadow arrives with several Crimson Guard and tells Buzzer that he has arrived to deliver a written message for them. Uh, Buzzer actually states uh, that he can't read. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe this. Now, I thought he had a I thought he had like an educated degree. Like his, his background, I think he has an educated degree from Oxford. He's actually supposed to be quite intelligent. Yes, I'll have to look oh that God. up. <laughs> um, so yeah, me, I think Buzzer, kind of like, I think Buzzer uh, is the poet, isn't he? I mean, wasn't yeah, he? exactly. It was uh, you know, I could see Ripper kind of coming off as dumb. He was always talking about donuts and grape soda, and you know, he's like, mm, you know, it just I don't see him being quite intelligent. But this, like for Buzzer, I wasn't. I don't think well, this. Uh, you you weren't. Yep. Uh, you weren't but, uh, oh yeah. Buzzer went yeah. to uh, Cambridge. Okay, there you go. Yeah, he he was uh, Buzzer was once an extreme left wing Cambridge sociology, uh, and uh, but he can't read. <laughs> right, he can't read. <laughs> That's even more impressive. Are you kidding me? And he went to actually research biker gangs. Uh, his experience there transformed him in, into the object of his research. Uh, as years of intellectual displeasure and extreme indignation at society's two two faced morality instilled in him a desire to take society apart with a chainsaw. But you kind of think he is a bit mamby-pamby. I mean, if you look at that other <laughs> screenshot of him sitting with Torch and Ripper, he's sitting there with his legs crossed, like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, like, chilling out. But he can't read. <laughs> like a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so Storm Shadow tosses the envelope into the air and uses his sword to slice it open. <laughs> it's the only thing Storm Shadow can fight effectively. So I love that. Oh, dang. Snaps. <laughs> it's true. I was going to say it's quite impressive. I, I get to see like one of the Crimson Guards in the background. Like They don't move or anything, but then just a wet spot starts appearing on their pants. They're like, oh. <laughs> Storm, Storm Shadow is beaten by a, an eagle. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's true. But he Dude, he took apart a tank with his bare hands. Come yeah, on. Yeah, seriously. You gotta give him some credit here. Okay, so inanimate objects, he's really good against <laughs> envelopes, tanks. I also like uh, Buzzer's little tiny mini grenades in that picture. Oh, I mean, yeah. they're like <laughs> as big as his thumb. They're like these tiny <laughs> little grenades. <laughs> um. So uh, Storm Shadow explains that there will be a rally tonight and Firefly will be present with some special fireworks. Uh, before Storm Shadow leaves the room, he warn, warns the Crimson Guard that failure will be costly. Uh, Lady J and Scarlet scour the city for clues of the leader of the gang and meet Tito. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Ten-year-old boy. Getting smacked just for being named Tito. Again, the after-school special parts <laughs> yeah. in again. The ten-year-old brother of Pilar who offers to help the right uh, for the right price. Uh, Tito is impressed by Lady J's toughness and agrees to help the Joes for 20 bucks if they hand over their weapons. If Lady J was tough enough, she would just punch this kid in the face, <laughs> grab him by the hair, and like, march him in. I'm like, this Tito kid, oh, he's got to go, man. I hate this guy. <laughs> the, uh, the Joes follow the young boy to his mother's shop, and Tito asks the Joes to stay out front as he heads to the back to get his sister. Um, the leader, uh, who is actually the leader of the gang, uh, Pilar bursts into the room with Scarlet's crossbow in hand and tells the Joes to talk fast, uh, quickly explaining that the gang members are being duped by Cobra. Pilar disbelieves everything, uh, they say and holds money as her proof that Cobra protects them. Uh, more gang members enter the room and knock the Joes out of the window and, uh, tackle the Joes to the ground. Suddenly quick kick and wild bill appear in the dragonfly and rescue their friends. Heck yeah. Here we go. So, which, well, how well, does a dragonfly land in the middle of the street? And carry four passengers. <laughs> I bet he's been in a six-shooter the whole time, too. Exactly. Right. Yeehaw. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> After Zap asks his captors why Cobra is limiting their goals to just elections and not the World Series, uh, a Crimson Guard walks towards the cell to, to threaten Zap. However, uh, Timber leads and leaps and drags the Cobra agent uh, close enough for Spirit to grab him and cause the rifle to fire. Uh, the resulting burst is seen by the Joes and the Dragonfly, who fly to the disturbance and enter the scene moments before the remaining Crimson Guard soldiers shoot the Joes. Uh, Lady J and the others scatter the other Cobra agents. Uh, they free their friends and extract the information they need after Zap promises the abandoned uh, Crimson Guardsmen that Snake Eyes will twist them into a fir- into the first snake-flavored human pretzel if he doesn't explain the details of Cobra's plans. This is when Red Block's, or Roadblock's voice really comes through in like that, just with a Hispanic accent. Yeah. <laughs> You're like... I don't know. It's like that's I was. It's just obvious to me that Zap is uh, the same guy who voices Roadblock, especially yeah. when he talks like this. It'll just like, oh yeah. We have uh, the Crimson Guard stutters and uh, that the political rally will involve the destruction of the entire pier. Uh, Zartan and Firefly travel on a Cobra Hydrofoil to the pier, 
and Firefly explains that he can detonate all the charges in in any order or all at once thanks to his ingenious remote de- detonator. Once again, proving that if you want a job done right, exactly. you hire Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they ever hire Zartan? Like you can just hire Firefly every single time, and then they'd win. And once again, Firefly gets the job done. Yep, his explosives go off. <laughs> That's all yeah, he was exactly. hired to do. <laughs> As the gang members uh, begin to attack Harper, Tito arrives and offers to help, uh, much to his sister's dismay, uh, but he is mocked by the other gang members and is driven away. The Joes arrive in the Dragonfly and climb out to help Harper. Uh, the Dreadnoughts and the gang members converge on the Joes, at the same, uh, and then at the same time, Tito promises to start his own gang bet- between the sobs that he has in, while he's sitting inside an empty building. Uh, and it's one of the buildings that Cobra has bombs inside. Uh, so the, the bomb inside uh, Tito's building explodes, and he cries out for help. Uh, but as Pilar tries to rescue him, Ripper grabs her arm and prevents her uh, from her rescue attempt. Which, didn't it seem like the buildings were really far away from where they were fighting? Like, yeah, time. yeah. I, I don't know how she heard her brother inside a building screaming <laughs> when explosions were going off. <laughs> the Dreadnought tells her that she will uh, stay and do what she is told since she was paid, but Lady J disrupts their conversation with an exploding spearhead, and Pilar uh, dashes off to save her brother. Uh, Scarlet enters the build, uh, the blazing building ahead of Pilar, and the Joes prepare to, uh, to fight the Dreadnoughts. Uh, who who turn the the scowling uh, to the scowling gang members after one of the gang members states that they don't want to be flunkies for people who prevent them from rescuing family members. The dreadnoughts then retreat. Um, all of the Joes and gang members stand outside of the burning building and wait. Pilar stumbles out of the building, coughing, while Scarlet carries Tito out and hands him to a smiling and relieved Pilar. Firefighters arrive and rush uh, to bring the fire under control. Harper runs to the Cobra Hydrofoil, and several citizens see what he is uh, working that he is working with Cobra. However, Zartan and Firefly punch Harper off the boat <laughs> and, es- and escape while Harper is captured by Cutter and the Coast Guard. When the firefighters showed up, I so was expecting to see barbecue. Yeah, just kind of. I mean, nothing else. Just kind of walking around with his axe, just looking for right. something to do. But <laughs> um, I also feel like because, like, I know it would have been too obvious but this show has been nothing but too obvious like barbecue also would have been a good joe to have had on this mission from the beginning and then oh lo and behold there's a fire and yeah it's kind of surprising yeah like why not just have it set up so that he could be spotlighted for a moment but uh inside the the shop of pilar's mother the joes and uh, pilar hear the results of the election with 95 percent of the vote accounted for uh greenway has 2,104,938 versus Harper, who has two. Uh, (laughs) Pilar wonders who the two voters were, and they speculate that it might be his wife or his uh, mother. Uh, But inside Extensive Enterprises, uh, we see Tomax and Zamot rip up their election stubs, each with the name Harper on it. I don't know about you, but you guys get... Uh, election stubs. When That's you what I was just gonna say. I don't know. I don't remember who I voted for. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I know I voted. I think I voted for that guy. And, like, and, sh- and shouldn't it be three? Because wouldn't Harper vote for himself? Yeah. No, he's like, I'm a loser. 
He's in jail. I mean, he his mom right. didn't vote for him. His wife didn't vote for him. It was just Tomax and Zaymont. Like, it, other than the really big name candidates, I do I do my research and my homework before I go in and vote. And and I learn, okay, here's who I want to vote for in each of these different, you know, council members or stuff like that. But then once I voted, I don't remember. It would be actually useful to have a stub if they gave one. <laughs> so I could who be like, <laughs> Um, well, and then of course, what they say, you know, Tom, you know, they finish each other's sentences, and Tomac says, "I hate it when," and then Zamok says, "We back a loser." <laughs> so do I. They say like simultaneously. Right. And, <laughs> I'm like, you guys back a loser every single week, <laughs> like every day. <laughs> I know you're part of Cobra. When have you ever won? Never. How are you guys successful businessmen? It makes no sense. <laughs> I actually made a comment too, saying that the the speak, referring to something we talked about a little bit earlier. I said the way the Joes seem to recruit, I'm surprised that Pilar didn't become a Joe after this. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, her codename is After School Special. Like that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, these with these five episodes, uh, John, I think you mentioned near the beginning of of the whole this whole episode. Um, these five episodes of the cartoon were probably the best five so far uh, I, I would agree i mean you had you had melty synthoids you had ghosts one which didn't even know he was dead you had <laughs> you know you had a movie made you had you know you had the after school special kids and the yeah i want to be like my sister kind of thing i, I just is fun but yeah this one is kind of the stinker of the bunch i, I think yeah. so. i i like the synthoid conspiracy but yeah. out of these five those were the only two i particularly liked I think um, the the previous group like Hall Down the Heavens I liked a lot, and mm-hmm. um, and then the, the group before that, <clears throat> um, you know like uh, well anyway, but there, there's others I think I like better than this batch. The last batch we had had a couple of stinkers like all in a row. We're like oh come on, yeah, yeah. This one uh, the, having that two part in there uh, I liked a lot, and then the other two were like not the worst, but you know not in my top yeah. group or anything. Um, I, they're definitely not my top group. Like you were saying the last, the last three, but, um, like the, the Phantom Brigade is definitely one that I remember very well from, from growing up. Um, and these five, I feel like even when it got hokey, the episode still had some really cool action scenes, like every, out of all five of them. Um, even this one with Pilar and everything else, like the fight scene on top of the roof and things like that, like, it was still cool that some cool action fighting scenes and everything else. Well, um, in that last one to me, uh, Firefly saves it. I mean, saves the episode for me because, like, again, yeah. he just comes in, and does his job, does a great yep. job at it. I'm just like, dang. We have to just keep an eye out if he ever screws up. Yeah, he's like, I don't know, three or four, like four times. He's four out of four. You know, what I mean, yeah. like, he's, he's he hasn't messed up once. Yeah. Um, if I had to pick a favorite one, it mine would be the the second part of the synthoid conspiracy, because um, mm-hmm. that's when you had you know Destro, you know turning, uh, you had you know a lot of the action happening. Uh, the Joes kind of, are kind of going against the government. Yeah. It all. It was. It, yeah. I mean, it felt like to me, it felt like the the Rebel Alliance against the Evil Empire. They're all coming together and and stuff. So um, that would probably be my favorite out of the, out of these five would be the second part of the synthoid. So cool. Um, anything else you guys wanted to say about these episodes? Nope. Okay. No, good. All right. We'll just look forward to the, the next ones. I don't have my, 
DVD here with me, so I, I don't know what the next five are. But uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna watch uh, Money to Burn, Operation okay. Mind Madness, Battle for the Train of Gold, Cobra Sound Waves, and Where the Reptiles Roam. Oh boy! And those all aired in uh, October 1985. Very nice. All right, so those will be the next ones, and uh, we'll see who, who we'll see who's there to join us for those. So. Um, other than that, uh, Robert, why don't you go ahead and give your information out? Sure thing. Uh, you can find me uh, on my blog, which is robertatkinsart.blogspot.com. Also at Facebook and Twitter, just at, at Robert Atkins Art or on Facebook uh, under the same name. Um, you can email me simply just by Robert at Robert Atkins Art. Uh, right now you can find uh, the work I'm doing uh, mostly is on the G.I. Joe Battleground game. So it's a game for iPhone and iPad. Um it's just kind of like a downloadable role-playing game. It's free to play. Uh, it's easy to get addicted, and then it's no longer free <laughs> <laughs> if you start buying up stuff. But uh, the cool part about the game is just it's a lot of character art that I get to do and chance to draw all the characters I love. So yeah. that's cool. I'm also working on the Castle series for Marvel based on the ABC TV show. And so we're working on the next arc of that, and that'll be out in the spring. Awesome. And is that one going to be a miniseries again? And then... Yeah, they're going back to trade right. format. I think... The monthlies didn't quite work just because um, okay. uh, th- those sales are much better in book sales anyway. And then yeah. with ABC's revisions, we could never keep on a monthly deadline just because it took forever to get back. So Yeah. Well, I know for me personally, when it came to the Castle series, I had been picking them, them up in the hardcover edition, yeah. uh, the first two. And I really liked that. And the only reason I picked up the monthly was because I saw your name was on that. Because <laughs> yeah. I was just going to wait for the hardcover. But then once... The hardcover came out. I picked that up also, and I think I actually brought the mini series with me to Baltimore and gave it away. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the single issues, because I, I had the hardcover that I was happy with, so I'm, I'm glad that they're going to go back to that format. Yeah. And then John, is uh, anything you want to plug or throw out there? Yeah. Uh, first of all, you can always find me at Facebook at John Thurmond, Twitter at that John Thurmond, and I want to give a special shout out. Uh, I'm going to do a con plug, if I may. Uh, the weekend, two weeks, uh, we're, we're recording, uh, early November, but, uh, November 22nd and 23rd will be the Virginia Con here in Richmond, Virginia. I'm really excited about this show. It was actually the first time I ever met Robert was four years ago at this particular convention. That's right. And, yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah. So it's back to a two day show. Uh, great guests, uh, our pal, uh, Shannon Gallant is going to be there. Uh, GI Joe legend Herb Trimpey. The other guest of honor is Rob Liefeld, uh, but a lot of folks, and actually uh, Robert's pals, uh, the Tsunami Studios are going to be there, John Wyckoff and Rick Ketchum, uh, Brian Shearer. Uh, so uh, if you're in, around the Richmond area, I would def- definitely recommend. It's a great show. It's really cheap. It's only $10 for a ticket uh, per day. Nice. Uh, kids on Sunday are free. And one of the highlights this year is that I will be moderating a panel uh, of G.I. Joe and Transformers, nice. and Star, jo- <laughs> Star Joe's other pal, Eric Grubb, Grubzilla, will yep. be on the panel. Uh, you're sure to see Keith Knutson will be around. Uh, hopefully, J.P. Jason will be there, too. So um, there will be Star Joe shirts being worn. I'm going to be pimping the show. Nice. And, uh, again, would just uh, anybody in the sound of this show prior to uh, – uh, November 22nd, 23rd, uh, definitely check it out. It's vacomicon.com. Now, see, for for me, if circumstances were different, I would almost uh, be driving down there just for that panel. 
Just oh, well, that's very that's very that's very sweet of you. Because <laughs> I mean, it'd be awesome. To, well, it'd be awesome to see you moderate it. I, I would be trying to get on it. <laughs> uh, uh, two topics I are very near and dear to my heart, obviously. So, um, but it would also be interesting just to see what people have to say about them and everything. Um, so I'm looking forward to maybe you can next time we have you on, you can kind of report to us. Uh, and I, and I'm also going to find out if they're going to be recording panels. Nice. I, I don't have that technology personally, but I'm sure. going to try and track that down. But yeah, again, uh, vacomiccon.com, and, and maybe uh, Grub can record it, it or something. Uh, you could always talk with him yeah. uh, since he'll be there. He he might have his equipment or something like that. So um, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely check that out. I'm actually hoping to have this episode out this weekend. I should have time to get it out this weekend, so there'll be plenty of time for people to. Uh, make arrangements and, and get down there. So, uh, let me go ahead and give our information out. It's, uh, you can find us at starjoes.com. I'm actually going to be reworking now that I have a lot of time on my hands. I'm going to be reworking the website a little bit, uh, make it worth going to visit. So keep looking for updates there. And I'll kind of post them on Facebook as they happen. I will finally be getting the file cards done. Uh, I already have a plan of attack to get all those done for everybody that submitted ones. Uh, so you can see your name up there. Uh, sorry, Grub, especially, because I know he's been asking for a while. Um, and uh, you can find us on Facebook. We have a fan page as well as a profile page. On the fan page, uh, whenever I read comics outside of the normal Star Joe's titles, I do post reviews and post photos and everything else. And those also go over to our Twitter page. Anything that I post on our fan page goes over to our Twitter page, uh, which is at Star Joe's Podcast. Uh, you can call us and leave us a voicemail. It's 440-941-JOES, 440-941-JOES. Uh, you can find us on Stitcher Radio. It's a free app for your mobile devices, and you can actually make Star Joe's one of your fan favorites. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. Uh, we would appreciate good, bad, or indifferent. Just leave us a review, and we will read it on the air. You can email us at starjoespodcast at gmail.com. And we do read those on the air. We have a few emails to read next time uh, Chuck and I get together, get together to cover issues, which should be the next episode after this one. Um, we're going to get caught up on all the issues that have come out, and there's been a ton. Uh, and uh, I believe that is everything. So uh, you guys have anything else you want to throw out there? No, no. That's about it. No. Okay, cool. All right. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and close by saying uh, the force will be with you. Because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, everyone. Wait a minute. Listen. Shipwreck? Cover, girl, and blowtorch. I found him. Yow! Beat it, you crazy coyote! 